When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. What is it that that book says? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I feel like they could have saved themselves a few words by just saying the times were okay. Right? Um, I'm talking a little bit about inflation. Wall Street Journal yesterday. Inflation showed signs of easing in several industries in August. Gasoline prices fell sharply in August. Airfares dropped and used cars and hotels ebbed, while rent increases also gave hints of slowing. Housing prices also dropped, uh, according to private firms quoted in the Wall Street Journal that track such data. Interesting, you know what's not going down, and it's not really measured when they determine what actual inflation is. You know what? It's not going down. Food prices. Even with gas going down, airline prices going down, rent going down, housing prices going down. Food prices continued to soar for the past month, and prices for a whole range of goods and services remained much higher than a year earlier. Now, I had the privilege of filling my gas tank yesterday, and I absolutely loved what I was paying for the a price of gas. I think I paid $3.59 a gallon. Now, you compare that to what I was paying a month ago, two months ago, three months ago, four months ago, five months ago. I'm in a much better position. Now, it's not as good as uh, as it was about a year ago. Certainly not as good as it was at the height of the pandemic when all the businesses shut down and nobody was going to work and we were paying $1.87. But the other side of that coin is the whole economy was shut down, businesses were closed, and we were paying a and we were paying $1.87 because nobody was driving to work. But it was interesting. I posted a chart of gasoline prices in uh, the United States on the in the East Coast, the West Coast, and on the Gulf Coast. That's all it is. From December of 2019 to September of 2022. And I posted this chart. And you could see that in most places, in those three regions anyway, gas prices are still higher now than they were on December 30th, 2019, and still higher certainly than they were during the pandemic, but that they've started to come down. And all I posted on Facebook, and you can see the chart for yourself at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan, that's Facebook.com slash MoranoFan, was loving these gas prices of late. I said still much higher than they were a year ago, but definitely moving in the right direction. That's all I said. 
and uh, on Facebook, and you could see the comments for yourself and the posting for yourself. I'll tell you what I was amazed by. I was amazed that there was such vitriol to this statement. Now, I didn't mention politics. I didn't mention anything about who's responsible for higher gas prices or lower prices. I said they're still higher than they were a year ago, but they're moving in the right direction. So I said. And yet the reaction from people was if I had started a done a done a commercial saying vote for Biden or vote for the Democrats. And that's not the case. But I would love to know. I was very interested. You know, I love uh, exploring different conspiracy theories, either either debunking them or exploring them or whatever the case may be. And I was very interested in all the people that seemed to imply that there was some sort of electoral conspiracy here, that uh, President Biden and the Democrats were keeping gas prices low just until the midterm elections or until he's reelected. And I'd love to know from you, one, if you think that's the case at 800-848-9222, and two, if um, they have the ability through releasing the strategic oil reserve or through any number of other, uh, you know, raising interest rates or anything else that you might have control over as it relates to prices, if they have the ability to lower gas prices, why would we still be seeing food prices go up? Give me a call and tell me what you think. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Joined in studio today uh, by one of my absolute favorites. As you heard, he's one of Dominic Carter's favorites as well. E. O'Brien Murray is here. He is a veteran political consultant and crisis communications strategist. Uh, We call him Obi. Obi, it is great to see you. Thanks for coming in. Great to be here, my friend. Great uh, to be here. I did a little shopping on the way in, by I, the way. I see that. Boy, my goodness. Hostess cupcakes. Got to have these for late night. <laughs> keep keep those away from me. I'm having a, a difficult time fitting in, uh, into my uh, pants as it is. So uh, keep those away from me. Cigars for the break outside? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly exactly what I we'll need. We'll stop there before your wife goes to yeah, sleep. Yeah, exa- exactly. All right. Obi Murray is here. And it is uh, very fitting that Obi is here uh, today of all days because today is actually the anniversary of one of the most remarkable political victories, not just in New York political history, but in American political history. And that is when Congressman Bob Turner, a Republican, won a special election for the seat that was pro- formerly held by Anthony Weiner. And, uh, Obi, you actually ran that campaign. For people that don't remember, let's take them back in time. And uh, this is Congressman Turner on CNN after being elected, talking about why he thinks he won. Uh, I think many of the things we were running on, the issues, have uh, become more pronounced uh, I felt more Democrats were ready to uh, take a different view. In this district, you have to appeal to independents and Democrats to win. And that was our message. It was strongly the economy, jobs, the looming deficit and its danger. I think people were ready for a, a different message, and, and they accepted it. Obi, um, what did you think of Bob's answer there, and why do you think Bob won? He got one more vote than the other guy. Well, more than one <laughs> yeah. vote, right? He, not only that, it was uh, he's a spe- spectacular guy. I talked to him today. I called him, wish him happy anniversary. He goes, for what? 
<laughs> you forgot already, Bob. Huh? But uh, he, he he was able to really solidify excitement at that point. That frankly, uh, Mayor Koch stepped up and took that message from the top down to deliver a message to President Obama about Israel. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I interviewed uh, Ed Koch right before the election took place, right after he'd made the decision to support Bob Turner, and he said that uh, the big part of the reason that he did so was because was because of Israel. And it was interesting to me because the person that Turner was running against, David Weprin, was Jewish. And it was interesting to me that Koch would choose to support someone who's not Jewish running against a Jewish candidate of his own party to send a message to President Obama. This is um, a portion of my... That was uh, 2011, the uh, election, right? September 13th, 2011. So uh, this is a portion of my interview with Ed Koch. I guess this is from August of 2011, in which we talked about... Israel, the Democratic Party, and why he was supporting Turner over Weprin. Uh, I believe uh, that uh, President Obama uh, is hostile to the state of Israel. Let me just explain. Uh, you endorsed Robert Turner, the Republican, for that seat. I did. Yes, okay. Yes, I did. Uh, and I believe uh, that he has changed the policy of the United States so that uh, Israel is no longer in that special relationship that every president from Harry Truman uh, to George W. Bush considered and had uh, with the state of uh, Israel. And I disagree with him. And uh, I believe uh, that most of the people in this country disagree with him on that uh, issue. And uh, aside from what he did a number of months ago in insulting uh, the prime minister uh, of Israel uh, when he had him as a guest at the White House and how he had uh, the vice president, uh, Joe Biden, and Hillary Clinton uh, harangued Israel because it was uh, building homes for Jews in Jerusalem and on uh, the West Bank. More recently, he said he wanted to get uh, the the peace uh, process uh, going. It's been the uh, Palestinians that broke it off several years ago, but he wants to get it going, and I believe in a two-state solution, uh, and I'm for uh, getting it going. But when he said that uh, the policy of the United States uh, is that the nations, Israel and the new nation of Palestine, that uh, the borders should be the pre-67 borders. That got me upset because those are not defensible borders, and I don't think the United States should be telling Israel how it should negotiate uh, and limit its ability to to negotiate. So I thought to myself, how can you get to the president to tell him that uh, he's in danger of losing uh, the uh, Jewish vote, which he got to the extent of 78%, the uh, largest uh, provided by any group other than uh, the African American. So, uh, Obi, did Jews in the district that traditionally voted Democrat actually vote Republican over a Jewish candidate because of the, Un- what Ed Koch was doing? Unequivocally. Uh, the, the, we, there was a poll done internally after the election, and John McLaughlin did that poll. He was our pollster at that time, and he said to me, you still won. And they had to match up the poll to, to what the mm-hmm. results were. And the Democratic voters voted Republican in a special election. That's what makes it so unique – Unlike anything else, especially congressionally, it's a local election, but it's paid attention to the whole country. What Ryan did this past month up in uh, Hudson Valley was a national statement Mm. and how things were going. Not just the the turnout based upon the Supreme Court, but what the trends were. In the Turner race, Weprin was asked, will you support President Obama for re-election? In 2011 for 2012 election, he didn't know in a Democratic district that hadn't been won by Republicans in over 100 years. It's the, it's the Archie Bunker district. Right, sure. I mean, there were don't tread on me flags hanging along the side of the road in Broad Channel. 
Um, but the Orthodox community rallied around Bob Turner, and they just fell in love with him. And to this day, he could go down the streets in Borough Park and in Brooklyn, and they're like, they know who he is. Uh, I spoke to Koch a little bit about why Turner specifically, given that message that he wanted to send to Obama, because it sounded like in the clip that we just played that he wanted to run against Obama in 2012. It would give the president a cold shower on Middle Eastern policy right. if Turner but went. only, said I, if Turner agreed that there should be simultaneously a shot across the bow to the Republican leadership that wants to privatize Social Security and Medicare and have uh, Medicaid change uh, from its uh, current condition to uh, simply receiving a uh, sum of money by each state from the federal Government. So with one endorsement, you're essentially moderating both parties in Washington. Exactly. You got it. And Turner said, absolutely, that's what he agrees. And I think uh, that if Turner wins, it'll be a revolution. Yeah, it would certainly be I something think, in this district. Uh, I mean, this is the largest Jewish district in the country, congressional district. There is only one contested congressional district election that will take place this year, and that is here in New York. I can't think of a greater opportunity. Was it a, resolu- a revolution? Yeah, it was. I mean, people came from Pennsylvania going door to door for Bob Turner. There was an election going on in Nevada that same day um, for, for filling vacancy for congressman that's still in office at this point. Uh, and that was just in the second district out there. Uh, but everyone was paying attention. It also was September 13th. Pay attention for a second. Summer's over. The train from the Acela goes to Penn Station and take the subway out, or Ubers weren't really big back then, but cabs out there. Everybody could, they could drive from Washington to drive up. They came down from Boston. The whole East Coast, all the press, everywhere you went. On election night, the trucks were lined up three deep with, with, uh, with satellites. But really what that, the interesting thing too there is we, never po- we didn't poll that issue as far as Israel's concerned until later. That was Mayor Koch's idea, mm. and he came to Bob Turner. And I, I didn't meet Bob Turner until the day he announced he was running out, out in uh, – in Queens. And at one point we said, well, where are the former mayors? Or where are the mayors? Where was Bloomberg? Where was Rudy? Where, where was, was Mayor Koch at that point? And he didn't know. They didn't talk. And then in New York won one night, he said, Mayor Koch says, I think I'm going to get involved in that race I, and, uh, on City Hall. The Dominic Carter show at that point. Or he was not there at that point, but that right, was his right show. That was sure. His show. Yeah. Yeah, his show. His show. And he said this, and I called Bob. He goes, well, how do we get him? Can you call him? Like, it was from that. The next thing you know, we're in his office the next day. We changed our plans and so forth. They, they spoke. Bob wrote a letter that he was going to sign and Koch was going to sign. Koch edited it. We went to see him again. I had to scramble and go see him. I sat there with my laptop in his office, and Bob and him were talking. And Bob would say something, and the mayor would go back and forth. And then I'd say something, and then Bob would go talk. And I'd say And Mayor Koch goes, don't listen to him, pointing, pointing to me. He goes, it doesn't matter. It's you and me talking. <laughs> and Mayor Koch had one of his colleagues in there, and, and Bob goes, oh, no, he's telling me what I told him to tell me. It's, those are, that's me. And Mayor Koch says to Bob Turner, just remember this. It doesn't matter what you say today in Washington. They don't care. They want you to win. Once you win, they'll worry about what you say and if you go off the reservation at this point. Uh, two questions before we get to uh, discussing pro wrestling. And uh, Obi Murray is here, uh, who ran that campaign 11 years ago today that really did shock the political world to some extent. We're going to talk politics in context of the pro wrestling discussion with John Arezzi in just a minute as well. But um, one, 
the the interesting thing, listening to Koch be that critical of Obama and endorse a Republican in his own city because of the Israel issue and Obama's hostility to Israel, it might surprise some people that Koch then the next year endorsed Obama for re-election. Did Obama, at least in Koch's view, did Obama moderate his positions with respect to the Middle East to Koch's satisfaction? If not, why did Koch endorse him? I, I, I think he, the answer to the question is yes. The president, President Obama, did moderate his stance. I don't know that he went far enough after that election. Mayor Koch was down in Florida campaigning uh, for for, uh, Obama. Pres- for President right. Obama at that point. He agreed to it. After the election, when Bob Turner gets elected, the president came to town, I think it was the lib- at city- New York City Library for an event, and sees Mayor Koch for lunch. Two of the- I-, I say two of them one-on-one. I don't know quite how that works with the president nowadays when he's in Washington. Mm-hmm. But Mayor Koch then afterwards had lunch with Bob Turner. They had lunch quite often until until Mayor Koch passed away. We- Bob Turner and I went to the funeral together. Uh, and... Mayor Koch says to Bob Turner, Congressman Turner at that point, you know, you're the only freshman the president knows on a first-name basis. Mm-hmm. And it was a message to deliver to the president, and Mayor Koch used Bob Turner as that messenger. And on election night, we had, Israeli, we had an Israeli flag up on stage with us that night. And the, so it got through. The other question, um, given that this was a big New York race in a swing district, which Anthony Weiner, when he was sitting in your chair last, he said that he thought... It was not a swing district. Well, no, <laughs> but he said that he thought when he left that the Republicans were going to win uh, his his seat. Now, maybe some of that's the hubris of politicians thinking, oh, I'm the only one that can hold this seat, but whatever. He thought that, uh, that the, the Democrats were not doing enough to keep uh, swing voters in their column. But um, this this year, a big article in Politico a couple of days ago that says the path to controlling the U.S. House of Representatives will come through New York because the courts threw out those gerrymandered maps and you have a whole bunch of competitive races all over the state. Uh, there's a lot. The conventional wisdom is that the five or six seats that are considered up for grabs in New York could determine possibly control of the House of Representatives. What lessons, if you were advising the GOP this year in some of these key congressional races around the country, but especially in New York, what lessons do you think the, this year's crop of Republicans running in purple districts can learn from that victory 11 years ago with Bob Turner? Well, Bob Turner was always true to himself. Nothing Mayor Koch asked was outside his his accepted way he was. Bob Turner was pro-life. He was not a, he was not a daily communicant, but went to church more than once a week. He has a, a service uh, on his uh, porch at in uh, in Breezy Point every year at the end of the end of the season. Breezy Point. Uh, none of that came out publicly. It was not a conversation that you know they attacked him for being pro-life, but he stayed true to himself. Never ever went where he, uh, went against those beliefs. But he didn't talk about him. He kept it quiet. He stayed on message at that point. And he was he was asked about abortion one time, and he answered it three times in a row. Boom, 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 and didn't push back. And then he fourth time he just fell apart and said something. It didn't make it on air, but he was fearful of that fourth time about saying a message. So anything you're doing across across the country, the candidates got to stay true to themselves. If they're not real, the voters can tell it on a congressional race. You're out there hand to hand, especially in some of the rural districts on affairs and so forth. It is. Something people can see and feel. Secondly, is all politics is local. What are the potholes doing? What are the stoplights doing? What are the gas prices we're talking about? Same thing. It's a big difference in in New York with taxes being cut, uh, the state holding back on their taxes for for a period of time versus Connecticut at that point. So it, it impacts people locally. Are they fighting for what the people care about? Whether it be environment, education, crime, 
that we're talking about, and it hits. I mean, t- today, John Casamitidis on his show, wow, he better check his blood pressure. He, it was <laughs> I coming know, he was right fired up. He was fired up. But uh, it, it was right there. I mean, he is so upset about this. And I was talking to people. They said, John, the one thing he's missing there is rent. Mm. People are talking about the cost of rent on top of that. Last question on the Turner race, and then we'll move on to some other things. Yeah. And we, you know, we'll maybe touch upon that throughout the next four hours. Bob's is a low, by the way. Well, that's good. That's Tell the race you and I met. Yeah, that, that race that day. I'm on time here, but we ran from uh, Queens. We had a breakfast in the city. Went to your radio show with David Patterson for a debate with Weppert. Yeah, I think um, I think we might have met even prior to that, but I was so obscure. You're me. Nobody I really knew I who I was. But, uh, so but that's we ran, okay. We walked out of that studio, and I turned to Bob Turner, and I said, uh, "Changing the schedule." He goes, "What's the matter?" I mean, we went to the Orthodox that day too, right before the debate. I think I said, uh, "We're going to see Donald Trump." He said, what? I said, yeah, they got a call from Michael Cohen this morning. And, uh, yeah, we're going now. He's like, we got time? I said, we're going now. Don't worry about it. I didn't want to tell him before the, the debate because he would have said something. Right, sure. Is this espresso? This espresso, is great. Maybe. Wow, this is great. This will keep me up for four hours. I um, want to ask you this on the Turner front. This was an ad that the Turner campaign ran that was very controversial at the time. Curious how you think this ad has aged given what we know through the prism of, of hindsight over the course of the last 11 years. This, I believe, was a radio ad. It might have been a TV ad as well. It's been 10 short years. Everyone remembers. Some, though, want to commemorate the tragedy by building a mosque on Ground Zero. President Obama thinks that's a good idea, and so does congressional candidate David Weprin. But I uh, support the right uh, of the mosque to build. Bob Turner says no. He knows Obama and Weprin are wrong. September 13th, send a message. Bob Turner for Congress. I'm Bob Turner, and I approve this message. You guys made a big, big issue of opposition to the Ground Zero mosque. Uh, was that the right decision politically and on the merits? First off, going back to what I said before, it's staying true to yourself. I stand by that commercial today. Mm-hmm. I can do that. I have uh, the other race I'll talk about another time, but same thing. I've never had that issue. Call me out what you want. It's the right thing at the right time, and I can sleep well at night because I did the right thing. Uh, that was the ad. It, it was more than, I think it was about 68% of the district was against that. Mayor Koch was against our ad, not publicly, but he was on the other side of the issue. And so when the ad— Meaning we, he supported the right he the, support, the mosque he, to go there. He supported the right, right. and we, did, we went down to meet with the Liberal Party to get the endorsement from the Liberal Party that was already gone. I had to call Mike Long and tell him we're meeting with the Liberal Party. He said, I thought they're gone already, Obi. What are you doing to me? We went down there because I wouldn't take the meeting. And Mayor Koch calls me and says, Obi, Bob, tomorrow, 10 o'clock, he's going to this meeting. (laughs) We walked out of the meeting. I said, let me show you an ad, Mayor. You're not going to like it, but I want to show you. And it was already going, whether he wanted it or not. Um, Let me know what you think. And he goes, wow. He says, that's going to hurt him. So – Mayor Koch was against it, and it was the right thing to do for the campaign. Uh, lastly, uh, we talked about gas prices before. A lot of listeners, when I posted this chart about gas prices, they all believe that this is essentially manipulation by politicians to blunt the true impact of inflation and have the Democrats get credit for the decline in gas prices that we've seen over the last month. Do you think that's accurate? I think the only way that... A government can really control gas prices is to increase them, to do things that cut off supply. Demand's demand. And what they do for pricing, they have to be able to flood the market somehow. But they can't do that with gas. They, oh, the oil reserves. Okay, they're putting it out. Right, but that's, that's dropping such the bucket. A, exactly. The bucket. How is the – they could even open up pipelines somewhere. 
that's not overnight. That's longer term. Right. But they could do things with refineries. More refineries, okay, that takes years. But they can do things we saw on the East Coast, was it last year or two years ago, mm-hmm. when they cut off circulation distribution of it and all the prices went up. People, people in Washington were driving down to Virginia like a ways out to get it. Government can control access to it. Less access increases demand, price goes up. All they're going to do is put it back to normal and prices come down to where it was. But to bring prices down, they can't. So you don't think even if President Biden, Speaker Pelosi, Chuck Schumer really, really wanted to see a precipitous fall in gas prices right away so that they could uh, inure some electoral benefit, you don't think they'd be in a position to deliver that? Let me make this clear. The only way they could do it are things beyond their control that they can try to work with, like the governments in the Middle East. Or or China having a lockdown. Well, when they went to Saudi Arabia, though, and and when the president went there, he went to meet to talk about them increasing the OPEC limits. It didn't work. But that was out of his control. He can do that, and even that would not be overnight. All right. We're going to talk wrestling. You know anything about wrestling? It's Uh, fine if you don't. I I think you represent— One of the guys went to uh, Stepanak High School. Uh, Al— I'll get at the break. I'll okay. All right. Somebody, one of the okay. calls will tell Step Out of High School in White Plains. Good. We well, had, th- th- uh, this will be educational for you as well because uh, one of the best books that I've ever read on the subject of pro wrestling was um, Matt Memories by John Arezzi, and uh, he is going to join us straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Time, uh, you know of my fondness for pro wrestling, and I don't get to watch it as much anymore because I don't have five minutes to do anything anymore. So uh, if I get a, a, a half hour allocated for television time, usually it's a program that my wife and I have pre-negotiated. So uh, my, I'm out of touch with my pro wrestling knowledge these days, and it kills me. And whenever I can sneak in a few minutes of watching pro wrestling, it still does bring back a surge of nostalgia for me. But I was talking about pro wrestling on uh, the radio, I guess, a few months ago, and a fellow that works here, Rob Leonard, came over to me and says, look, you've got to read this book, Matt Memories by John Arezzi. So anyway, I throw it on the pile when it comes in of books that I'll look at one day. And then one day I just needed a break from reading about nothing but Eastern European policy and wars in Russia and biographies of Theodore Roosevelt. I said, let me pick up this Matt Memories. I have to tell you, this book is one of the best books uh, about pro wrestling Anywhere. For the starters, it breaks KFAB. It names names. Two, it's a compelling memoir of somebody that's led a really interesting life with three different names. Three, if you're not interested in baseball, if you're not interested in music, if you're not interested in pro wrestling, this book still actually manages to be incredibly compelling reading because John is such a good storyteller. So let me welcome co-author of the book, Matt Memories, and co-host of John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight and Matt Memories from the Madison Square Garden podcast. John, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. 
Hey, Frank, that was such a great introduction. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate it. Well, well, no, it, you have nowhere to go but down. So uh, we, we, <laughs> we've set a high bar. Hey, uh, before we talk uh, wrestling, I know you worked in the New York Mets organization and the minor league system starting in the early 80s. I worked in minor league baseball for the New York Mets as well. What, what are your thoughts on the Mets uh, this year? How closely are you following what's going on at the major league level? I watch every pitch and every inning. So uh, I, I think the Mets uh, this year, it's a special team. Uh, they made a lot of great moves uh, going into the season. Hiring Buck Walter was one of them, bringing in some uh, strategic free agents, getting Max Scherzer. Uh, even though the Braves are on their tail, uh, I think it's going to be a fight to the very last week of the season. Uh, but I have a, a gut feeling that the Mets are going to win the division and get that bye to get right into the division series. Mm. I'm very excited about it. Hey, fingers crossed. Uh, last night's game notwithstanding, which was pretty frustrating. All right, uh, talk to me about your transition to the world of pro wrestling. You're working in baseball. Sounds like you're on a, 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 an up, a path for a lot of upward mobility, a great trajectory in pro baseball. Why make that career transition to the world of pro wrestling, and what exactly exactly did you do in the world of pro wrestling? Well, I mean, I really started off as a kid, as a 14-year-old, uh, as a fan, uh, watching it on TV. Then uh, uh, back then, you had to be 14 to go to a live event in New York. That was the State Athletic Commission rule. So I started going at 14 years old and fell in love with even more. I started a fan club uh, for a notorious heel named Fred Blassie, uh, and that's what kind of got me in. And then I kind of segued uh, into a photographer. I used to shoot the matches at ringside as a kid, and then I started submitting stories to the wrestling magazines as a 15-year-old, 16-year-old. Started getting uh, articles published at that young age. Uh, talked my way into a ringside photographer position at Madison Square Garden as a kid. And uh, and then I, I actually got into the ring for a few matches, which was uh, insanity because I had no training. Uh, got uh, matches against Dusty Rhodes, uh, Chief J. Strongbow, Peter Mavia. That was short-lived. Uh, and, uh, you know, my lifelong dream growing up was to work for the Mets. So I went off to college, got hired by the New York Mets uh, and uh, placed in the minor leagues, uh, Class A League in Shelby, North Carolina. And uh, before you know it, I meet a singer at a bar <laughs> named Patty Loveless, who was a country, who was a rock singer at the time. I quit my job with the Mets to manage her, stayed in artist management in the 80s, and then uh, that company went belly up, and I had I needed something to fall back on. So I still love pro wrestling, and I started a commercial radio show called Pro Wrestling Spotlight on a little uh, mom and pop uh, station on Long Island, WNYG, in April of 1989, and that began a six-year run as a radio talk show host. Uh, Pro Wrestling Spotlight was on WNYG. Then I transferred over to WGBB on Long Island, a little bit of a bigger signal. And then I uh, started brokering time on WEVD at the time, 10.50 a.m. 
so uh, I've kind of bounced around a lot, Frank. I mean, I've I done love a lot it. of different I, I've things. listened to a lot of those stations, especially uh, WEVD. There was some great hosts on there, including Ed Koch, who we were just talking about, who did a great job on there. Uh, you said a great deal there. We're talking with John Arezzi, uh, author of the book Matt Memories, which I recommend if you're a fan of baseball, music, or pro wrestling. But you mentioned one of my all-time favorites, Classy Freddie Blassie. Because you take a look at all these pencil neck geeks out here. And that's just what they are. A guy that made the term pencil neck geeks a household name, including <laughs> releasing a wonderful hit single by that name. Now, there's a lot of people listening right now, including the gentleman who's uh, in studio with me, O.B. Murray. Very bright guy, uh, very politically minded, follows the news closely. They don't necessarily know how great Classy Freddie Blassie was. By the way, if people are interested in further viewing on the subject of Blassie, I strongly recommend the Andy Kaufman pseudo-documentary, My Breakfast with Blassie, which is a cinematic classic, which should be in every cinematic Hall of Fame, should have won every award there ever was. Explain to folks what, what was it that made Classy Freddie Blassie so special. Well, he was believable, first and foremost. I mean, he was uh, you know, platinum blonde hair, very rugged, a brawler. And then he started using his teeth to bite people on the head. Uh, he he uh, became a legend in Japan because, you know, the, as the story goes, he uh, audience members died of heart attacks while he was facing Ricky Dozan, the Japanese legend. But he uh, was a major star here in the United States, and he had major battles against Bruno San Martino in the 60s, Pedro Morales in the early 70s. I mean, he was just someone who could draw heat. He was someone that the fans feared and they hated. They despised him, and he was so believable as a heel. But ironically, on the West Coast, he was a beloved baby face. He was a good guy. <laughs> I, so I, that, it, it was crazy. I love that people can kind of thread that needle. Uh, Jerry Lawler did it with the, you know, being a, a face in the South and mm-hmm. then and then uh, a heel everywhere else. Uh, Bret Hart did it for a time, being a heel in Europe and uh, excuse me, being a heel in the United States and a and a and a face in Europe and Canada. You know, a lot of people are listening to us right now, John, and they think we're speaking a different language and they think that we're from Mars. In fact, they'd rather be hearing me do a discussion about uh, people from Mars. We're grown men here talking about uh, in a sports entertainment with the where the outcomes are predetermined. What makes pro wrestling so great? Why would anybody over the age of nine ever care about what goes on inside a ring when the outcome is already predetermined? Well, the athleticism, for one. I mean, they take incredible risk in the ring. It's really a storyline soap opera for for men, if you look at it. I mean, years ago, the storylines were a lot deeper than they are today. But it is something that draws you in, and then you... You watch it, and you get drawn into the storylines, the heels, the villains, the baby faces, the different characters. Uh, but the, the incredible uh, skills that they have in the ring and in their promos, uh, it, it's acting in a lot of ways, but it's brutal in so many other ways. Even though it's predetermined, I mean, the bumps you take in that ring uh, on a day-to-day basis, uh, I, would, I would challenge anyone to be able to survive something like that 
more than a few days if you have uh, enough courage to get into the ring. John, we've seen a lot of people big in the world of pro wrestling try to make the transition to the world of entertainment. Hulk Hogan did some films, Suburban Commando, Mr. Nanny. We saw uh, Rowdy Piper do the film Them. We saw Andre the Giant do uh, The Princess Bride. We've seen a lot of wrestlers over the years try to make the transition into mainstream entertainment. Uh, I don't know that there's been a more successful crossover star from the world of professional wrestling than the grandson of the gentleman you referenced a few minutes ago, uh, the grandson of Peter Maivia, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Finally, The Rock has come back to New Jersey. Just as sure. As for the very first time, Kevin Kelly, The Rock, stood right in this arena and called you an ugly hermaphrodite. Is this sure? As this Sunday night at Armageddon, The Rock will be in hell in a cell. This is going to be the most brutal match The Rock has ever been in. The dangerousest match The Rock has ever been in. The hell in a cell. And it doesn't matter, Kevin Kelly, what you call it. Whether it's called a hell in a cell, a rage in a cage, penis in Uranus, the only thing that matters is that The Rock is going in this Sunday night to do exactly what he does best, lay it the smack it down, and get back The Rock's WWE title. So tell me, John, in your view, why was The the Rock is not only now the best paid actor in Hollywood, but they're talking about him seriously as a presidential candidate in 2024. Why was The Rock able to make that transition from the world of pro wrestling in a manner that other world champions, The Rock, of course, is the not only the son of Rocky Johnson, but the grandson of uh, Peter Maivia, so he's a third-generation pro wrestler. Why was he able to make that transition when guys like Hulk Hogan, Bob Backlund, Bruno Sammartino, Gorgeous George, Lou Fez, why were they not able to make that transition to mainstream entertainment as successfully as The Rock has? Well, you heard the promo that he just cut. I mean, he had uh, an incredible and has an incredible uh, gift, which is that charisma and the ability to cut those promos. And uh, people looked up to him, and he was able to make that transition uh, better than anyone else has ever done. And it's just his work ethic, his dedication, his passion, and the way people react to him. He is in a class above anyone when it comes to pure entertainment, not only in the ring, but, of course, in Hollywood. And there are those rumors that he may be a presidential candidate down the road. And that's what the series that he's in, uh, Young Rock, is kind of based on. Uh, It's uh, set in the future that he's running for president, and then he tells the story of his life. And it's been picked up for a second season by uh, NBC. It's... uh, He's one of a kind. He's one in a million. I mean, there's not uh, uh, anybody like him uh, in the business, uh, not only in wrestling, of course, but in, in motion pictures. He just he draws money. This is Obi. Uh, it's great conversation here, by the way, Frank. I mean, the whole insight. It's not just theater. It's not just wrestling. Oh, no, totally. It's, it's not the high school Thank guys you. we see out there. I mean, it's just it's a whole thing. Uh, but the yeah, thing about Rock that strikes me is I think of him as an actor more than I do as a wrestler. Well, I think because the whole world ball, does well, now. Ballers, yeah. ballers. I mean, that show uh, on Showtime was terrific, the way he, he carried that out. But his, his work ethic shows through. But the thing that you saw there, too, was he delivers a line, and he's live. 
one of the knocks Cynthia Nixon got on got from as an actress running for office was she couldn't deliver a line, whether it be to fundraisers or to the press. She had to have a script and she was waiting for take two. That everything in wrestling, you get one take and that's it for what they're doing. But the thing that amazed me too, Frank, about the business and what McMahon's done and so forth up in Connecticut uh, is that it continues to grow. You had in the old days, you had boxing and it was only a broadcast TV and buy the tickets in, in the theater itself, in the ring, uh, in the arena. Just watch the ring. Then you had pay-per-views. And, oh, boxing's gone. No one's going to see it. It's not going to be out there. You have to see it on TV. you know, Or it doesn't count. Went to cable. And Showtime and HBO did their whole thing as well as others. Wrestling kept on going. And then you've got Ultimate that comes in. And wrestling keeps on going. Mm. The pie is growing. It's like the Connecticut casinos. When Mohegan Sun opened up, everyone thought Foxwood would go down. The pie just grew. Uh, you know, that's that's an interesting point. Um, and I want to ask you about MMA in a minute, uh, John. But uh, speaking of politics, you know, we've seen a number of wrestlers try to make that transition from the mat to elective office. Only a handful have really been successful. Obviously, I think the best-known example is Jesse Ventura, mayor of Brooklyn Park, and then the governor of Minnesota. Uh, The wrestler Kane is uh, a mayor in Tennessee. We've seen a whole bunch of wrestlers try their hand at running for office. Bob Backlund, Nikolai Volkov, Jerry Lawler, uh, Steve Mongo McMichael, a bunch of others. Why is it that um, only a handful... Guys like Jesse Ventura, guys like Kane or Glenn Jacobs, they're able to get elected, whereas so many other wrestlers who have that same experience talking to a crowd, entertaining a crowd, delivering a line, they're not able to make that transition. Well, I think in the case of Jesse, and he has been the most prominent one and and went all the way up to governor of Minnesota, I think timing was right. People knew him, and he struck a chord with the voters. And he related to the voters, uh, starting off as the mayor of Brooklyn Park and then segueing into the governorship of Minnesota. He just struck a chord. And the same thing with Glenn Jacobs, who is the mayor uh, currently uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, he struck a chord as well. I mean, obviously, that uh, exposure that you get on television, being in front of millions of people, uh, that gets you a base. uh, But then it's up to you to kind of relate. Uh, to uh, the uh, constituents in in that particular uh, area. Uh, I don't know why others haven't been successful, like Lawler and – oh, Backlund is just – you know, Backlund is is just an interesting guy. He's a very eccentric guy, and he's a a little off his rocker, if you ask me. Uh, (laughs) But uh, uh, it it, it just didn't happen for him. Too many Um, chairs to the head? Uh, well, Bob has always been a little quirky. Uh, Bob has uh, been somebody that uh, uh, believes in his gimmick as the all-American uh, guy. Uh, you know, he lives and breathes it. Um, I had an opportunity to interview him a couple of years ago on a live stage, and it was the most unpredictable thing that I ever did, uh, trying to uh, have him focus. And then he uh, he stood up and stood on his head and did a handstand. And then, uh, he, <laughs> I've tried he, to get a I've tried to get him on the show. Now, after listening to your description, I'm I'm sorrier that I I'm even more sorry that I haven't been successful. That doesn't look good on radio, Frank. Well, it's true. The most the most bizarre thing of the whole interview was in front of an audience. It was time for the Q and A, and I said, "All right, Bob, let's take some questions from uh, the audience." And he uh, just said, "I'm out of here." And he, you know, he was he took had his shoes off and he put his shoes under his arm and he stormed <laughs> out of the building. And that was it. He left. So um, it, it was just it was it was fascinating to me. 
That, uh, that means you can't uh, answer the question I was going to ask you. How did he connect to the audience? It's the crossover from the universe you operate in to broaden yeah. it. That's always a challenge. If Larry Kudlow was looking at running for office in the, in the U.S. Senate in Connecticut, had a CNBC audience to start with. Michelle Cruz Cabrera had that here in New York. Not MSNBC, CNBC. And there's a flat number from all those years for where they stand across the board in the polling. But the, the, the wrestling viewer is what audience and the voters are what. Mm. The mayor's race is very local. It's, it's property tax. It's potholes. You get to know who your people are locally in a different way than the wrestling. But once you get beyond where you can shake hands with voters and make a difference, it's, it's the TV. It's the big arenas. It's speeches. It's, it's anything that you connect to the voters. If you don't connect to women, it's very tough. Yeah, I mean, very, very true. Is, is the fact that wrestling is male dominated and uh, maybe hasn't had the kind of female uh, viewership that, uh, you know, that you need to build a successful electoral coalition? Is that something that could handicap wrestlers? I would say that it ha- that could be a good part of it. I mean, obviously, uh, the, the wrestling audience is an adult male, primarily, uh, you know, 18 uh, and up, uh, 18 to 34. Uh, it, it's a. Uh, there's not a big viewership when it comes to women. Mm. Although AEW is making some strides uh, with the women demo right now. And 18 to 34 votes how often? <laughs> yeah, once exactly. a lifetime, once a lifetime. Well, I mean, that, that might skew a little young there, but I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's an 18 plus audience. It's a, a predominantly male. Uh, talking with John Arezzi, his book is Matt Memories. Uh, the person that wrote your book is a best-selling author in his own right, Mick Foley, a.k.a. Cactus Jack, a.k.a. Mankind, a.k.a. Dude Love. Tell me about your relationship with uh, with Mick Foley, what's he like when he's not getting getting his ear chopped off off in a wrestling ring and giving people the mandible claw? Well, Mick wrote one of the forwards to my book. Uh, Greg Oliver was actually the co-author with me, and he's written seventeen books. Uh, but Mick Foley has been really a a, a longtime friend. Uh, you know, we're both from Long Island. He is one of the sweetest guys that you'll ever want to meet. I mean, uh, I saw him yesterday, matter of fact, uh, at an autograph show here in Tennessee. Uh, but Mick is somebody that uh, uh, resonated to the fans. He didn't have the body that most of the other wrestlers did. He was he was kind of big. He was just bulky. Uh, but he was passionate, and he became a legend. He came, became the hardcore legend based on his uh, willing to sacrifice his body very early on in his career, and it carried him through his entire career. But what he does outside of the ring, the charity work he does, the money he raises mm. for people in need, uh, in the wrestling industry, uh, there is probably less than a handful of guys like him who care about everybody they come in contact with. He is, without a doubt, uh, one of the most amazing men I've ever gotten to know. G- give me one or two that. others of the great guys that you think you've come across in the wrestling ring. Well, Bruno San Martino was, you know, my hero, and he was he was the same way. He he was who he was. There was no pretenses about him. He was honest. He was uh, humble, and he was just genuine. Uh, you know, those two stand out above so many others. I mean, there is even going back years ago, uh, a guy named Ernie Roth, who was the Grand Wizard of Wrestling, was another one who uh, was basically just a, just a, 
incredible person. Uh, you know, in modern day wrestling, I mean, uh, to be honest with you, I really haven't been involved, uh, you know, on a day to day basis, uh, with the current, uh, wrestling product with the presentation of today. I do watch it. Uh, but, uh, these are the guys I remember who were just incredible human beings. John, I gotta have you back because I have pages of notes that I haven't even gotten to. So we're going to have to do this again. If you're willing to stay up late again in the future, anytime last question I have to ask you though, uh, very briefly, we recently, I paid, I was one of the suckers that paid the 30 or $40, whatever it was for the pay-per-view to purchase Ric Flair's last match, because he's my favorite wrestler. And I have watched him for decades and I'm such a fan the the match was i mean it was absurd it was absurd that a gentle a, 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 a wrestler of his age would be even pretending uh, to wrestle in a ring it seems that that is a trend throughout professional wrestling history, that there are these guys that just don't know when to hang up the tights and end up in some cases doing some serious damage to their legacy. Why do so many of these performers have such a difficult time uh, hanging it up when it's clearly time for them to do so? Wrestling is like an addiction for these guys. And Flair is probably the, person who can't get away from the spotlight he's got to be in the spotlight he's rick flair he lives his gimmick in the ring and out of the ring he's always been that way and i have to agree with you on that match and i know the person who promoted it he's an incredible guy he's a great promoter rick shouldn't have been in the ring even though he trained hard for it and in the training sessions he looked okay you know, not like he, not like Ric Flair was, but it was evident that as soon as he stepped through the curtain, that yeah. it was going to be a disaster. Um, maybe he was, you know, out. They had him doing a lot of stuff that weekend. Maybe he was tired. I know he said he was dehydrated, but uh, I was. It was the only time in the history that I've watched wrestling, and I've watched wrestling since I was seven, and I'm 65 today that I was actually fearful that I was going to see somebody die in the ring. Same, same here. Uh, John, we're going to have to end it there. Uh, Come back soon. I love the book. I recommend Matt Memories by John Arezzi to anybody that's interested in country music, uh, baseball, or pro wrestling. John, uh, hopefully we'll see you at uh, a couple of Mets playoff games, okay? You got it, Frank. Thank Uh, you so much. All right. If you want to comment, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. Be the man! You gotta beat the man. I'm the man. The other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano uh, with you until um, the next three hours. Uh, My very special guest in studio is uh, the one and only E. O'Brien Murray, veteran political consultant and uh, crisis communications expert. Are you involved in any races this year? 
I was a contributor before. Now I'm just special. Well, Which is special. a promoter. Yeah, yeah, I brought yeah, all the beer and the, and the scotch and the cigars. That was contributing. Yeah, well, d- drinking a lot of it makes you less special. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, are you doing any races this no, year? Nothing is on, on point. As nothing far on as, point. Uh, where I'm in the, in the box, they say, as a manager and so gotcha, forth. So gotcha, gotcha. All right. That may change, but right now there's no conflicts. I can speak freely. Any predictions then? I, I like that you're kind of independent then. Um, I always disclose. I mean, that's the yeah, thing, too. Yeah. When I go on New York One or any shows, always out there. Well, any predictions as to how the midterms you know, end up this year? I know it's a couple of weeks away. I think away. the Senate slipped away, but the House is still going Republican. I so think- the House goes Republican. You think the Democrats hang on to the Senate? As of right now, I think the Senate could swing a little bit and, and, and go back to 50-50-ish. But I, I don't see it yet. I still see Democrats holding it or, or picking up one. If you have questions, we'll take them for the next three hours. 800-848-9222. That's uh, 1-800-848-9222. Uh, and, and as always, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Make sure you get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Yesterday was indeed an historic day. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno here with Obi Murray, a, our special Other Side of Midnight contributor. And Can I go uh, meditate in the other room for a while? <laughs> do your thing. It's great radio, though. <laughs> uh, I, will, I will continue to do my best to entertain and inform. But um, you, you're, it's safe to say you're a regular listener to this program as well, right? Frank, great nights to listen to you. Yes. Yeah. Well, if so, I can't fall asleep. Now, how how are you able to? Because you give me comments throughout the entirety of the four hours. How are you able Frank, to m- maintain these these nocturnal hours and then function during the day? I mean, I don't even pretend to function during the day. I don't pretend to function at night, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different uh, campaigns are fantastic. Remember, you said before how to get into it, and I said sure. stupidity. Well, it's I'm lucky to do it, and I love doing it, and that's why I do it instead of just doing real estate that I got my master's for, but. You know, you get it's all consuming. It's like it's a drug, right? And so when I'm not in campaigns, I bury myself. I talk to you about the the primaries. I was still doing stuff for the primaries just on my own to just teach myself different things I wouldn't normally be doing because I'm focused on my races. Uh, and I just, you know, New York's different now. That's you know, there's sure. dinners. There's people not in town. There's this, that. You know what? I like it. It's a great use of my time. I think I learn a lot. I enjoy it. As I mentioned, yesterday was an historic day. Yesterday was the anniversary. Of President John F. Kennedy's speech, one of the most famous presidential addresses in history, in which he talked about America's commitment to ultimately go to the moon. We meet in an hour of change and challenge, in a decade of hope and fear, in an age of both knowledge and ignorance. The greater our knowledge increases, the greater our ignorance unfolds. No man can fully grasp how far and how fast we have come. But condense, if you will, the 50,000 years of man's recorded history in a time span of about a half a century. Stated in these terms, we know very little about the first 40 years, except at the end of them, advanced man had learned to use the skins of animals to cover them. Then about 10 years ago, under this standard, Man emerged from his caves, 
to construct other kinds of shelter. Only five years ago, man learned to write and use a cart with wheels. Christianity began less than two years ago. The printing press came this year. And then less than two months ago, during this whole 50-year span of human history, a steam engine provided a new source of power. All right, let me uh, jump in here. I hate to interrupt President Kennedy, but the, the operative part of uh, of that speech, and we didn't need the whole history, but I appreciate. I know I sent uh, I sent Alex like n- n- the forty cuts to grab with, with two hours before the show. So sometimes you have to cast a wide net. And I'd rather hear too much than too little. But um, the operative aspect of that speech is President Kennedy says before this decade is out, we we should seek to send a man to the moon and return him safely. And he committed the entirety of the the national will to do that. And I remember a discussion I was having with a friend of mine who was a Democrat then became a Republican and really looked up to John F. Kennedy, a discussion I was having with a friend of mine about, I guess, about 15 years ago. He said to me, that level of thinking, that moonshot thinking is what's missing in government today. He said, can you imagine... This is what he said to me. This is my friend Mario. He said, can you imagine if the government said, if the president said, we're going to take the totality of every aspect of government and be committed to one goal? Let's say, and this was him saying this, not anybody else. Let's say they decided to take that same mentality to going to the moon and apply it to cancer. He said, we would knock out cancer. Now, he said that years before Biden did. So Biden... As vice president, obviously his son, Bo, uh, battled cancer, ultimately died from it. And under the Biden, under the uh, Obama administration, he said this was the, what they were going to do, launch a moonshot. Now, he, I'm not used to hitting the mic button. He plagiarized? Biden plagiarized? Is, is that real? Is that really? Is that true? Well, yeah, well it is true. It is true. I don't think In he, this instance, too. I don't think he was getting notes from uh, Mario DeRay the way he was from uh, Neil Kinnock. But um, – It was interesting that it seemed like pretty much nothing happened with that first moonshot during the Obama administration. Yesterday, President Biden comes out and he launches a sort of a renewed moonshot, not with the goal of going back to the moon, which would be nice since we haven't been there in 50 years, but this time with knocking out cancer. This was President Biden in the new version of Moonshot 2.0. At this inflection point... President Kennedy made a choice for the nation, thank God. On this day in 1962 at Rice University in Houston, he spoke about America's possibilities. I was asked by Xi Jinping, who I met with more than any other world leader in the Tibetan Plateau, and he turned to me and he said, can you define America for me? And I said, yes, and I was sincere. I said, one word, possibilities. In America, we believe anything is possible. I mean it. And in choosing to go to the moon, President Kennedy said America was doing so, quote, not because it was easy, but because it was hard. Because the goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energy and skills because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept. One we're willing, not one we are unwilling to postpone. And one 
which we intend to win. So President Biden uh, reiterating the, the country's desire to cure cancer. What do you think of the speech? What do you think of this as a policy priority for President Biden? I, I think the policy is terrific. It's interesting, JFK, one of the questions I've always had about people when they do things like this, mm. did they really know it could already be done? There was, there was already a path. Did, uh-huh. did, how much did he stick his neck I up? do that all the time, by the way. I find you know something answer. that's going to happen, and then I go and predict that it's going to happen. Or You realize you're well, not only on the record. You're All, all America, <laughs> oh, the whole I, world I, is listening to I you. I have no problem okay. giving my secrets away. I really do this all the time. I find out uh, – You know, I, I, yesterday I found out – I don't want to say it now, but I found out a big – a very big crime is going to be solved pretty soon. They said it's going to take place. <laughs> <laughs> a bank robbery. And you, you watch. Next week, I'm going to go ahead and predict that this crime is going to be solved. And sure enough, I'm going to look brilliant. Curtis is right. That's why you go to Atlantic City. <laughs> That's what it is. That's right. But go ahead. You, so you were saying maybe Kennedy knew that this— I'm not this... saying he knew and it was unethical whatsoever. But before you make a statement like right. that, like Re- you know, Reagan tear down these walls and so forth, they didn't know it was going to happen necessarily. But th- there's stories there about the State Department taking it out of the speech and Reagan still putting it in afterwards. Because it was too confrontational for diplomats at the State Department. They didn't want Reagan to say those words. They got put in afterwards. So uh, tell me, take me through, one, the politics of this, since I know that's your expertise. How do you think this plays in middle America electorally going into the midterm elections in nine weeks? And then, two, and I guess more important in the grand scheme of things, the substance of this. Do you think uh, President Biden, through focusing the attention of the government and the presidency, has the ability to actually affect a cure for cancer? At this point. Where Biden is on this, I think it makes as much noise as space does, which we found was a fraud last time they had from like a few weeks ago. They had mm-hmm. that whole right. what to sound like it wasn't real. Right. Um, it, there's, it, it's not even a thud because there's no sound. It's just he said these words. There's nothing that people can connect between now and election day. It's terrific. We all have family members that have, have suffered and God forbid will suffer. But it's just it's right now just words. Kennedy chose something that may have been able to happen because he figured out the science and somebody inside came to him and said, hey, here's something that might happen. What do you think? And he then dug down and dug down on it. Cancer has been there. It's going to be like, how do you all of a sudden have this be the one year it can happen when every year they've been saying it? Mm -hmm. Americans want cancer to be cured. But it's it's always a political joke. Don't forget, too, because the joke about Trump was always I can do this. I I solved cancer. And and the headline would be healthcare workers out of business. Right. Right. I mean, that was always part of the, the conversation i don't know where this moves the votes for biden unless specific dollars go to dana farber in boston oh he already has massachusetts so what's he gonna do in florida oh he's gonna lose florida so where is it going to go to swing the election at all it's got to be jobs economy results you're not getting results on curing cancer so, now in november uh, po- or, politically this doesn't go anywhere in the next few weeks i don't think, think so and, and you know his cadence on this delivery if you were to play 10 seconds 10 seconds of jfk and 10 seconds of biden and JFK was the first TV president, first TV campaign to speak of, opposed to Nixon when he was a little sweaty on camera. <laughs> and you take Biden now, who is older than Kennedy was, but has had decades more experience, and he still did not deliver the cadence and get the people excited about it like you do every night. Well, thank you. Uh, there's certainly a big difference in, in energy just in everything they say, I would think, between John F. Kennedy and, and Joe Biden this day and age. If you want to comment on the Biden moonshot for cancer, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. One of the things, a- Fred- a- a- energy is different than cadence. Mm-hmm. Cadence is how you listen, I think, at times and how you connect and it's the flow. When you give someone a phone number, 
917-555-1212. We have a certain rhythm we all take notes with and we listen to it. If you connect to the voter, it's a melody in that sense. Obama didn't have energy in all his speeches. He sure had cadence. And it was I'm not knocking he didn't have energy. He had it when he needed it. But Biden is not an energy guy in any of that, and the cadence is missing. Yeah. Now, I, I can't argue with you there. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on the Biden moonshot for cancer, which I think everybody, irrespective of politics, is really rooting for him to be successful on. One of the things we saw, one of the what I consider to be one of the great triumphs of the Trump administration was the uh, utilization of Operation Warp Speed to bring about a vaccine for COVID, which was clearly a big goal for the Trump administration and for Trump himself. Obviously, vaccines are different than uh, curing diseases that have been around for forever. But uh, you do see a record, a record time these vaccines were produced Really, because the whole infrastructure of the healthcare industry and the government was was used to, to that end. Do you see Biden making a similar effort here? I think when you look at, don't forget, look at COVID, it became political. There was one side and another side. There wasn't a unity. If you think about a pandemic hitting this country, hitting the city, what we went through here, and it right. spread across the country, the, the unity wasn't there. Cancer is something I think that hopefully will not be political. There's enough there. but but when when uh, President Trump did what he did with warp speed, the Democrats all said, I'm not going to take his drug. I'm not going to take his drug. It wasn't just warp speed. It was his drug. Oh, yeah. Pfizer well, was his drug. Even uh, Kamala Harris in those in those debates specifically said, if uh, if President Trump tells me to take the vaccine, no way. I think in words or substance. And uh, if Anthony Fauci tells me to take it, then then that's a different story. But it was political. And then he got knocked for not enacting the I don't I don't what was the exact name of it where where you force all the companies to right, work on that a, product a, you know a, a mandate or but no but where, where where it's a national emergency <laughs> and everything's got they're doing it right now with um, other other drugs oh, and so on, yeah. issues the, but like the government forces manufacturers to manufacture well, this product well I thought that was for, the defense production act, defense production which, act, yeah yes. which I thought he did utilize but he didn't at first at I times. see and he, for ventilators and so oh he's got to do that he's got to do that he didn't do it so he's a bad man for that. Well, but then when it came around, it was too little, too late. And then, if you notice, President Obama now is uh, President Biden now is doing it a little more for that act. But it, it's uh, it's going to be very interesting to but see. But it's political, and cancer's not political yeah. yet. Hopefully, no, that ugh, that's for sure. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. One of the issues that I want to cover a little bit later is the issue of mandatory national service. It's an issue we've tackled before and has gotten a, a lot of attention of late for a wide variety of factors. Now, you you were, before you were in politics and before you were in the crisis communications business, you were in the military, right? I enlisted as a private in the Army in 1988 when I was in college. After the, after the Bush election in 88, I marched into the recruiting station and said, I want to serve. And I enlisted. Right there on the spot. So what did you do, uh, three years? No, I did. I enlisted in the reserves. I went that summer down to Fort Benning, Benning School for Boys, they called it, and learned how to become an infantryman, 11 Bravo. Came back up, and I was in the reserves in Rhode Island. And then while I was there, I got accepted into the ROTC. Ah, So I I went from E1. I didn't get any promotion before I was in there. E1, the lowest level in the military for rank. And then I came out. uh, I was an E5 for a period of time as far as the way they organized it as your cadet. 
and then I I was a second lieutenant when I graduated. It, talking about the political airborne school in between there too was great. Fort Benning, Fort Bragg, Fort Benning. So how long reserves and all were about, you? About three years in total. Okay. No, so no scholarship and anything like that. No well, combat. Uh, you, how come you didn't get any scholarship if you did ROTC? I didn't want to take a scholarship. Huh. And I want I didn't want to take it because I wanted to control my own independence. And if I took a scholarship and I got something for the military wanted me to go do and I wanted had no interest in not where it was, but what the job was gonna be, I wanted to be able to say I'd rather not do it. Now I don't think I ever would have done it, but once you have a scholarship, you're you're locked in for periods of time. I wanted that freedom. Because I also felt if I got a reserve commission, which is fantastic, I wanted to be all in. And part of that was because my job gets so consuming, sure. I can't go. And also doing politics and doing the Army for me at that low level, I felt would have been a conflict. So I, would, I was really torn. So I said, you know what? I'm not taking a scholarship. I didn't apply for it. And I'm going to just serve my country and go from there. You, you Going back to the Bob Turner race and how you and Bob Turner and Ed Koch sort of nationalized this one congressional race over the issue of Israel, you mentioned how uh, Pat Ryan, the new congressman in upstate New York, was able to do that successfully over the abortion issue. The woman that won the special election in Alaska did that to some extent as well in her victory over Sarah Palin. Now we're seeing in Pennsylvania, obviously that's a statewide election rather than just a one congressional district, John Fetterman is trying to use the same strategy running towards this abortion issue. Do you? So he's running for anything? I mean, like, <laughs> well, he's, 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 a, he's not out in public doing he, it. He, well, he's, treadmill at home. I he guess. did something yesterday. I guess uh, did he get gas uh, and gas women, price down? I don't know. He was out there and in, in wearing pink and having all his supporters wearing pink. But um, it's clear that the Democrats are trying to nationalize this issue on the issue of abortion. The Republicans are trying to nationalize this on the issues of the border, inflation, and crime. What's a better political strategy? Whose hand would you rather be playing? If you were the chief strategist well, right now. a couple now. things on that. Bob Turner's message was a loud outcry that Mayor Koch started about send the message to the president about Israel. And it was vocalized. And it wasn't a national conversation like abortion was, but it was a natural discussion on this page, on this topic, if that makes sense. They heard Bob talking right. about it. That's what moved people. And the world said, holy cow, this is a major issue. And they heard us in Israel. Um, Pat Ryan, on their campaign, kudos to them. Nobody heard about it. That Sunday morning, Sean Patrick Maloney was on Meet the Press, and he said the Republicans are going to win that seat. And I was like, what a bozo. You're the head of the Democratic right, Party. exactly. And you're the chairman, and you now just threw Pat Ryan under the bus. Expectations are one thing, but the energy of that campaign, they got slapped across the face. I've been there. I mean, we had stories in the Wall Street Journal saying Bob Turner was going to lose, he's terrible, and nobody was on the record. And we knew who it was, probably, but that kind of stuff. Here you have the chairman saying on the it's gone on the record, live camera. I mean, I would have been ballistic running that race, telling the DCCC that. And he said they're just making the Republicans spend more money, which is what we did with Turner. We did a head fake on Friday afternoon. We called all the broadcast channels and said, we want to buy, buy time. An hour later, the DCCC put another $800,000 down for TV between then and the end of the election. So we took $800,000 of hits that they couldn't go attack anyone else in the rest of the country. Um, so Brian talked abortion. And afterwards was able to talk about it. But during the campaign, it didn't come out of that district. And Marcus would get attacked on it and then not talk about it. He would go, Marcus Molinar, he would go to uh, the economy, the gas prices, the uh, baby food formulas not being in the grocery stores. That didn't resonate. Abortion turned out the voter and Marcus missed that conversation. So on a local level, it's, all politics is local and Marcus didn't connect. And, and Ryan did. And after he won, he ran across the whole country 
and did a fantastic job taking the message out afterwards. So which is unique. Again, so we're seeing around the rest of the country Democrats trying to nationalize the race on abortion, Republicans trying to nationalize it on inflation, crime, and the border. Whose hand would you rather play at this point? It's interesting, too, because in New York, they already had a vote in the Assembly and the Senate, and they tried doing it when the Republicans controlled the Senate. So some politicians have had that fight in New York all the time. Marcus hadn't really done that, so he wasn't ready for that argument yet. There are other ones in the state that have done it. So on, on which argument? Abortion? Abortion. Uh-huh. Because of the, the bill that passed in Albany right. when the Democrats took over the Senate and that finally got the vote. They're talking about bringing another one up in that sense. But that argument in New York was an ongoing thing since 14 or 12-ish when the bill first came up. If you go national now, if you go to each state, you look at Kansas and what happened, it got voted down. Now, is that going to still be an issue in Kansas? Now it's a red state, so I'm not sure which House races are there. But that got tampered down in those flames. Certain states, Vermont being one of them, mm-hmm. and you've got an open Senate seat and you've got the, uh, the congressional seat that's open for the gentleman that's running for Senate up there now. That's going to be on the ballot. There's a referendum on there. What what impact will that do when people show up to vote for that like they did in Kansas? So that's a different state than somewhere else. So again, it's all local. So you say, where do I want to be? I want to look at the ballot because what's going to turn out the voters on this? Are the women going to come out? Are independents going to come out? So you're saying maybe in Alaska, voters will respond to abortion, but in Michigan, maybe they'll respond to inflation. Yeah, but it's also who's on the ballot. Right. Sarah Palin is an adamant pro-lifer. So there is a there's a diametrically opposed candidate. In there, where did that go? What was that messaging locally? I mean, she's well on the record on that, and she believes it and talks about it. Uh, so it's again, who's, you can't beat somebody with nobody. But locally, what else on the ballot? In mm-hmm. The mayor's race for Rudy in '93, there was secession in Staten Island. It turned up the vote. Oh, there. No doubt about so it. So that bring that concept out there to any anywhere in the country. No doubt about it. Hey, one of the issues that we always hear about is, and we've always heard some version of this, but in the last five years, we've heard about it significantly, is Democrats love to point to the Republicans and say, the Republicans used to be a normal party that I disagreed with, but under Trump, they've just gone crazy. They're off the hook. That's the party of election denialism. Extremists. Global warming denialism. It's dominated by extremists. Republicans do kind of the same thing. They say, you know, Democrats used to be the party of Bill Clinton. Now Barack Obama couldn't get nominated. It's the party of AOC. JFK was the Republican today. And Elizabeth Warren. Right. That's what they always say. Now, Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, a guy who, you know, pretty critical of Trump, but he seems to be pretty middle of the road, at who least might run to me, himself. on most issues. He um, was talking about Elizabeth Warren and her politics. And I want you to listen to what he said and then tell me if you think this is a theme that uh, we're going to hear a, a, a bit of. Now, she has a proposal to tax billionaires. Mark Cuban, obviously a billionaire. Not exactly a surprise that he's not crazy about this. I don't mind being taxed more. I wrote a blog 20 years ago saying it's the most patriotic thing you can do after military service is pay your taxes because that's what allows everybody, you know, to to live and to prosper. Um, But, yeah, the idea of just soak the rich, billionaire tears that sell that cup. Mm-hmm. Screw you, Elizabeth Warren. You're everything wrong with politics. So Mark Cuban says Elizabeth Warren's everything that's wrong with politics. She is the national face of a lot of, of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, maybe other more so than anyone other than Bernie Sanders and AOC. Um, what's your take on kind of where the political movements have shifted if, these days? If Warren had gotten approved by the Senate, we wouldn't hear about her today. Mm-hmm. I mean, possibly. Right. She went up and ran, right. ran exactly. for Senate in Massachusetts. So Mark 
is, is a terrific spokesman on most any issue he talks about. I've not, I don't recall him saying something that he was out of. He hadn't, he, he hadn't been properly updated on what was going on. Um, and, and so when you're going after a class of people, no matter what it is, that's not right. I mean, you're chasing them out of a place. Let, they can pick up their money and go somewhere else. You can't pick up bricks and mortar, but bank accounts can go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so why is she doing it? Nationally, she's trying to do it, obviously. It's a little bit different there. You're not going to leave the country, though some guys are. They keep talking about it. the men and women that are of that class. They can look at leaving the country. They've talked about it. Um, it's not good. You have to have the incentive. I mean, she's talking about taxing, if I'm not mistaken, the one you're talking about, taxing each year what went up in value, even though you didn't take the money out yet. And that's wealth creators. They, they start a company and they put X amount in and they let it sit and they let it ride and they get paid in stock and the stock goes up in value. That's how they become these billionaires at times. And then they sell the company and they get it. Now, when you get the check for the company, mm. that's when you pay your taxes. But if you pay every year, you're not going to get that big one at the back end for the government. And what happens when the price goes down? And they're doing minimum tax now, too, for that as well. If, if you're. You're, you have losses at some point. You're still going to pay anyway. Right. So it sounds like Cuban, a, Cuban wins that round. Oh, yeah. No question. Okay. I think Cuban can win that round anyway with Warren. Warren and, and paying student loan. There was a clip they showed when a, a voter went up and said to her, hey, my buddy went on vacations. I work two jobs. Why Why is his daughter getting the money back and my daughter's not? Because mm. I don't have any debt. Yep. No, no. 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. With Obi Murray, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, uh, joined in studio for the entirety of the program by O.B. Murray, greeted by a little ACDC. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on the show, just join our Facebook group. Um, you can just go on Facebook and type Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters, and we post the music in there uh, each and every day. What do you think of the music that we uh, play on a regular basis? Unbelievable. Uh, you can turn music show sometimes. Yeah, I, I agree. Take, take a walk, Frank. Go smoke a cigar. Put the music on. <laughs> you might get more listeners. <laughs> Don't tell John Katzmatidis. He just heard it. That's John Uplet- you say John listens every that, night. That's right. He does. That's the last thing we need uh, to be. Uh, that's the last thing. John can save how much? A ton of money pays you so much. <laughs> Where's your spinning wheel that's, for the top? I wish Where's I had that spinning a spinning wheel. I wish I had a dump button right right about now. Hey, uh, let me ask you about this. Uh, two quick two quick stories I want to. Uh, Ask your opinion on before we uh, take some phone calls. 800-848-9222. Open lines if you want to comment. Uh, article that you had sent to me, actually, about a Canadian company that wants to build a train-plane hybrid that can go 620 miles per hour. Now, I have to think, you know, we like to be futurists on this show, talk about the world of Star Trek and science fiction and everything. This is a transportation game changer, I would think. I knew you'd like that. I do like it. It was right up your alley. It is. Right up your alley. For me, it was interesting, interesting too, because in Atlantic City, I did the connector mm-hmm. down there for the roadway. 
in, in Las Vegas, the legislation in the building of the monorail it used to be a one mile monorail. Now, then it went from Bally's to Las Vegas Hilton. And I worked with Disney. We were looking at buying the monorail from them, a used one, and others uh, with Bob Broadbent out there, God bless him, um, who ran the local, local side in the airport and stuff. But the technology that's out there was phenomenal then, and that was 20 years ago. And now you have this. But to do, they have to have a blank canvas, and the United States is not a blank canvas. There's mm-hmm. not big open land to do this. You're talking about Jetsons where you got to get up over everything and just fly to do it right. But there would be great ways to move across this country. If they did that. They, so it they, sounds like you're a skeptical. skeptical. You're, you're not buying stock in this company yet, this Canadian no, company. No, but also at the same time, don't forget, they talk about the sell and everything else. They can speed up our, high, our train service by cutting off the turns that they have across the eastern seaboard and the rest of the country. Well, they have those turns because who owned the land when they built these things? Right, right, right. Hey, uh, you don't go – I know you worked in Atlantic City for years. You worked for Steve Wynn, and uh, you were you know, a, a very, very big part of the – business aspect of Atlantic City. You don't get there much anymore these days, it seems, right? Why? Well, I'm asking. <laughs> no, tell me. Tell me. I, I'm not a big gambler. I think, yeah. yeah, when you work in the industry, there's rules about where you can gamble and what you can do. In Atlantic City, you can't gamble at your own property. Sometimes you can't gamble in the whole city. And it's a good policy. If you're executive of course, at one company, absolutely, yeah. if you're executive at one company and win another, they yeah. still wonder oh, about the cahoots. Oh, no. No doubt about it. Also, Frank, you know who wins at the casinos? The house. Right. The way to make money in casinos is own the stocks. But as you know, you know, having lived there, I think at Steve Wynn's house, right? Or at Steve I, lived, I lived at Steve's house for a year and a half uh, in Ventnor. There are a lot of other things to do beyond, beyond gambling, right? You have shows. You have restaurants. Less, you have the boardwalk. You have dining. Less so, in, Atl- less so in Atlantic City. Uh, than, than Vegas for other things. But, yes, the beach is there. The boardwalk was terrific. I used to run down the boardwalk back Well, I'm City. determined to get you but, back. I'll, I'll go back. It's great. But it's a different experience. I mean, the shows there are also a little limiting for what they have for theater at times. It's getting better over the years. But it's been – it's it's not the Carnival Midway that Las Vegas that's is. For, that's for sure. But, again, you don't have to hop on an airplane to get there or one of these Frank, plane train hide. You know hybrids. what I did Labor Day weekend? I went to Bermuda. You know how I got there? Both. I walked. <laughs> I walked from my house near Broadway – to the Hudson River, got onto a cruise ship, and I would start drinking. I was in Bermuda. Hey, are you a Godfather fan? I'm a Godfather for my great God, my well, Godfather. The, the, no, the no, no, motion picture. No, no, I know. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know what I'm yes, talking about. Don't I, bust I chops. Come uh, on. Uh, well, yes, no, yeah, sure. Okay. Love, I love it, love it. So uh, w- there, there's a lot of, from Godfather Part Two and Godfather Part Three. there's a lot of scenes that have to do with the San Gennaro feast. Godfather Part Two, when they go back in time, you see kind of old New York and what was happening with the Feast of San Gennaro. And then in Godfather Part Three, which takes place in sort of the 70s. Is there a three? Did it really take place? <laughs> did, they over, did they ever shoot the runway we'll, on that we'll, one? Uh, Jump I, probably, the shark. Probably. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll put aside a, a discussion of Godfather Three for another day. But um, that takes place in the 70s. And you have um, Andy Garcia's character getting into a confrontation with Joey Zaza, who's played brilliantly by Joe Mantegna at the San Gennaro Feast. Thing that gives the Italian Americans a bad name, huh? Caponi like this, huh? Hey, Joey! 
That is one of the most noteworthy, most interesting, most pivotal scenes in The Godfather 3. And it's interesting what Joe Mantegna is saying there. These guys are kind of acting rowdy. They're acting gangsterish. And Joe Mantegna says in the film, in the clip that we just heard there, at the San Gennaro Feast, this is the kind of thing that gives Italians a bad name. New York Post on Saturday had a very interesting article that, um, according to them, the John Frada, a member of the committee that runs the San Gennaro Feast, which is going to start in two days and it's going to run for 10 days, he told the New York Post that in their rules, nobody can sell anything with the Godfather on it. No emblems, no T-shirts, nothing. They believe that it denigrates Italians and that it reinforces the negative stereotype that uh, Italians are associated with the mob and organized crime. Uh, And what John Frada told the Post, we don't need people thinking that the mob is running the feast. Uh, Now, um, unfortunately, the mob has had a long history influencing various vendors at the feast. I mean, I don't think that's the case anymore these days, but for many years, there was a significant amount of mob influence on the San Gennaro feast. What is your take uh, on the fact that none of these vendors are going to be able to sell a T-shirt with the Godfather on it? And the reason I ask is twofold, because this is the 50th anniversary of the Godfather, and you have uh, guys like Johnny Russo, who always goes to the San Gennaro Feast, and he has a whole line of uh, products, sauces and things like that, that capitalize on the Godfather to market and brand these products. I get where John Frada is coming from, not wanting to be seen as uh, just an an appendage of organized crime. But does this blanket ban on products related to The Godfather go a little too far in your view? I'm getting worried about that because St. Patty's Day. Are they going to not let us Irish guys drink our beer? That's right. Or no cabbage. No no cabbage. No no lucky charms. What the heck's going on? I can't. I can't tell them what to do for their festival. Well, right, nobody but, can. No, I'm no, just but, but internally, you. my thought, my question to them would be: What does your audience want? Mm-hmm. And also, you have with what's happened and hasn't been there in the past couple of years. What are the vendors going to do now? And are the guests and the people that are the customers, literally for the, for the whole festival, going to spend money in that community? Community's okay to say here, you know, it, Dominic's show when they were talking about community before for Chick Fil A, but in that neighborhood. If they don't sell the Godfather gear, for lack of a better term, uh, the swag and everything about it, Chachi's, are the are the visitors to that area going to spend the money on the food? Are they going to spend it on the crosses? If the answer is no, then put all the Godfather stuff out there and let them make the money. I think I think it's a very hard sell to say because we don't have Godfather material here from the movie on the fiftieth anniversary. That that's going to make people disassociate. And right. And there's that new show, The Offer. I haven't seen it yet, but it's very popular about the making of The Godfather. You could see some vendors might want to sell, you know, some sort of T-shirt or hats related to The Godfather or The Offer it, or something like that. It's almost a woke or Me Too-ish type thing. It is. It you is. Know, Swazi, when he ran for uh, county executive against Adam Haber, there was an issue out there with catering halls and so forth. And Swazi attacked Haber for being anti-Italian. And the Italian-Americans got together. And you have the Columbus Circle fight going on. Those are bigger issues, I think, than The Godfather. I mean, Rudy Giuliani is going to tell you how great The Godfather is that day on the news, probably. And that he's going to be against – I don't know if he's against it or not, but, I mean, it's one of his favorite movies. Yeah. No, no, no. We, well, Rudy and I have talked about this. He's a big fan of The Godfather. He's one of the few people at the station that I think knows the film better than I do. Did he write it or he just, <laughs> he just memorized it? I don't know which one it was. 
But um, here's a guy in, in Rudy Giuliani that, as a prosecutor, put a lot of mobsters in jail and as the mayor uh, helped get the mob out of the Fulton Fish Market. And I don't I don't see him making th- this fictional film and products associated with with it the kind of villain that some of the folks that are prohibiting vendors from selling shirts for ten, are. For 10 days out of the whole year right, in one days. city in the whole country. Right. And yes, it's the biggest city and it's a big festival. But what coverage is it going to get for doing it? And then the news coverage will be, it's not here. It's going right. to bring more attention to right. it. Right, exactly. And everyone at home is going to be like, oh, because they don't sell it there. Does that mean? No. Yeah. There's no, there's no connection or thought process to get from the decision to what they want the impact to be. Yeah, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. That's 800-848-9222. John Frada was quoted in the New York Post. He said, I don't talk about The Godfather. I fight that. I'm with the Sons of Italy, and we fight that stereotype over and over again, and it just keeps on creeping back to us. And then um, this fella's grandfather, Luigi Vitale, was one of the founders of the feast. He sat down with Mayor Adams last week who's one of the honorary marshals at the feast this year. This is what he told this is what uh, Frada told the post. We met with the mayor and he said, "Do me a favor, give me a history, give me the history of the feast." And we told him this is something we have to keep. And I, I don't think there's anybody saying that this feast should be discontinued. I just wonder if this is uh, maybe a solution in search of a problem. I mean, was there really that much of a problem I with think rampant s- godfather shirts? No, being I think sold? somebody wasn't going to cut and they yeah. wanted all I cut out. I mean, I do it wonder. wasn't their faction. It wasn't there's in all these organizations. There becomes a political part about who runs it mm-hmm. because somebody wants more. All legitimately, I'm not saying it in a corrupt sense. Sometimes there are, and it's been well reported from various organizations. But there's a certain control somebody wants, and if that organization itself doesn't get the proper proceeds from something, they don't want it to be part of it. I'm yeah. not even saying it in their pocket, but something happens in this kind of stuff where. It's it's out there. Maybe the hope is the money from the guests gets spent somewhere else. All right. I don't see it. Could be. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Peter is on Staten Island. Hello, Peter. Hey, Frank. How you doing? Right. Listen, um, I worked at the Feast of St. Gennaro back in the 70s and the 80s selling Zeppelins and Calzones. And that was when the boys, the mob, ran it. And then it switched over to the city. But, like, when the mob ran it, if you had bad weather days, you know, in August, and I mean, September and October, you know, hurricane season. Sometimes out of the 10 days, you got four or five bad weather days. And the boys used to give them a break, you know, whatever they would charge them for the spot. Because the main spots were the corners, like near a subway, like down where, uh, let's say, I would say, uh, Canal Street area, and that spot was the hot spot. You'd pay more for that because there's a corner, and the people would get to go to the subway. They would stop. So those were the hot spots. But right. uh, I really spent a lot of good times there, and it was a great thing. It brought all the people together, and when the World Trade Center happened, that was the disaster. Well, uh, yeah, down, well, yeah, you know, no doubt then, about it. But Peter, what do you think of this this ban on selling items related to the Godfather? Well, I think it's just uh, a policy thing. But I mean, you know, listen, the Godfather. When I live in an Italian family like you, you would know. Uh, my family, you know, oh, that's not so, and everything else. But truth the matter, the matter was that way. The Sunday dinners. 
And, uh, you know, they always say, we never cursed at the table. My family always cursed at the table, you know. The main thing was the mapina. That was the rag to walk, you know, wipe the table with, you know, and stuff. It was the culture, you know. I grew up in that family. But my family, my parents taught me, especially your mother, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. If you get involved with it, you might have All to right. go All right. Peter, I, I think we're, we're, we're getting off the beaten path a little bit, Peter. But, Thank you. Know, you. Peter, what he's talking about there, too, though, is the high traffic and, and so right. forth. What he's talking about is the control the mob had. They were nice to the people that bought the high traffic areas. If they lost money or had slow days, they'd sort of make them whole is what it sounds like. Yeah. No, no, no. I understand. But that points to the other issue, though, in any of this stuff. In, in in the casino world, it was it how involved was the mob? How involved are they? What are they trying to do? The cure for any of this is disclosure, is mm-hmm. visibility, mm-hmm. and, and di- that's your disinfectant. Light disinfects it. The, these festivals and everything else, by divulging their finances, people see where the money comes and goes, and who's in charge and where it goes. That's what it's about. And it's not about the the things he just mentioned. Were dinners, family dinners, the foods. That's not what they're complaining about for the Godfather. They're complaining about. Uh, leave the gun, take the cannoli, which yeah. he wasn't selling. Right. Uh, no, I get that. 800-848-9222. Charlie mm-hmm. is in New Jersey. Hello, Charlie. Oh, thank you, Frank, so much. I have a couple of things to say. First, of course, some people are offended by the mafia, but I want to remind uh, people that there's something from 2,000 years ago that might still be a factor somewhat, uh, the Roman Empire conquering much of the earth. Right, so and people you... don't think of that sometimes, but that's still a factor. And uh, also, uh, the good part of uh, the Italians is uh, one of the best parts I know of is uh, Goddess Diana. And I'm just sorry that people don't worship her anymore because uh, she's she's a, I think she's a, still a very important goddess. She's the Italian goddess of love and uh, of a lot of things. And uh, the world has just kind of gotten away from it. All right, so I, I take that, Charlie, as you agree with the T-shirt prohibition at the at the feast. What, what about you, uh, Obi? Can we get you worshiping Goddess Diana again? You know, who was on here the other night? That was great radio. <laughs> the fashion show. Oh, Her, uh, maybe. She sounded great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I she, know about the Goddess Diana, but yeah. the one the other night, she was real. She was yeah, here. St. Nicole, that's right. Saint Nicole, She's that, religious. I'll take St. Nicole over the Goddess, because St. <laughs> Nicole's real. Exactly. Bob is in Queens. Hello, Bob. Yeah, hey, Frank. Uh, I know the feast well. My family for many years used to have business down in that area. As a matter of fact, my brother took over the ice business from my father, and for a number of years he was delivering ice to the feast uh, back in the day. But personally, I don't. by not selling that Godfather merchandise, I really don't think that's going to change, have any change on people's opinions uh, towards Italians. In other words, good or bad or indifferent. As long as they're there at that festival, it's all Italian, and I think, you know, all the good things about Italians and, 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 and misnomers that people may think about will still be present. I personally don't think the not selling that merchandise is going to change anything. Hey, it's, Bob. It's, it's thought-wise. The Godfather has a lot of religious overtones, storylines, scenes. Are any of the, the souvenirs from Godfather, any of them at all religious, too, that they're cutting that out just by cutting everything? Because you had the scene where the baptism was going on. You have the church at the end mm-hmm. in, in three. There's the 
you know, baptism is always a big thing. Is there any Godfather baptism stuff there? I mean, I don't know how much, and uh, thanks, Bob, I don't know how much merchandise they sell from the Godfather that's related to the baptism. I I think you're talking basically T-shirts that say the Godfather on them. And I think you're maybe talking uh, T-shirts and and or hats that depict certain characters like Vito or Sonny or Michael. Or, um, like I was using the Johnny Russo example, somebody might have a stand that sells, uh, you know, Jenko olive oil or Vito Corleone's pasta sauce. What about Sopranos? Or uh, the characters from yeah. Sopranos that are still walking around and in there all the time in, in Little Italy and around the area, are they not allowed to walk around? Because they're well, characters from the show. Exactly. And they're actors, right? And they're actors. They're known faces from Sopranos. They're, they're, they, it's, that's a, it's a good point. And uh, I any, think this any, is, as you said, it's bringing more attention to this than otherwise would be if... Uh, they just kind of let the vendors do what they want. If you had a business down there, wouldn't you pay appearance fees to some of these guys in Sopranos to they be there? Have. I'm just no, but like for this event, right? You, you're oh, now absolutely. put it front and center from the Sopranos. Yeah, no, uh, no doubt about. It. Look, I, I think the priority for uh, these uh, the, the feast would is should be making it something that people want to go to. Number one, and two, making it that something that's completely free of criminality, right? I don't think banning any type of merchandise should be high on the priority list for this. Is there a new leadership there that changed over recently from I, you control? Know, I, it sounds like the, the way this Post article made it sound is that John Fraud has been there a while. But, I, I, you know, sometimes, as you know better than me, sometimes the Post can kind of create a story. If this is the angle, if this is the story they want to write, they can say, hey. No comment. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they can say, hey, John. Are you allowing Godfather merchandise? And this is something that he hadn't even thought of. And all he said, you know what? No, I don't like the Godfather. We don't want any mob stuff there. So I don't know how much of this is a New York Post creation and how much of this is the San Gennaro feast saying we don't want any of that stuff. Did here. Gandolfini's ghost come back and the Sopranos <laughs> knocked off the Godfather? <laughs> By the way, the new iPhone, you're an iPhone user, right? Yes. You are. I, I, I can't. Not. When I send you stuff, I can't see I know. The- I miss everything. I am. Whenever I'm in group text messages, it's always so frustrating because it all, people always get really interesting messages and stuff. All I get is so-and-so um, laughed at the previous comment. It just It's a verbal description of what is clearly the an emotion. emojis don't translate. Right, exactly. Exactly. Uh, all right, 800-848-9222. Obi Murray is here. We'll take your calls on this or anything else we've covered. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. So you little Italian devils, you want to know about the love? <laughs> Saragina will tell you. If you want to make a woman happy, you rely on what you were born with, because it is in your blood. Be Italian. I don't think I ever heard this song. This is apparently Be Italian by Fergie. Is this from something, that place? You don't know? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar with it, but... Uh, My Italian girlfriend's family used to play it for me. Do they really? Is that uh, whatever it is, I, I have maybe I have heard it. It is kind of catchy. Right, hey, uh, speaking of entertainment, you do, I'm assuming you did not watch any of the enemies last night. The Emmys last night, all right on NBC. What are the, the Emmys? The- <laughs> 
All right, right. So, what's NBC? I am <laughs> such a sucker for awards shows. Yeah. Right, such a sucker. I'm so clamps. And so, what I do is uh, when my wife and I are we're, we're in the living room. Doesn't matter what the award show is: MTV Video Music Awards, the MTV Movie Awards, the Emmys, the Tonys, the Oscars, the uh, Golden Globes. The Frank, you're not getting nominated. Award. Royal list doesn't uh, get. Uh, well, I like whatever. the Obies. The Obies are my the Obies <laughs> are my favorite. So anyway, I am always. Pretending, not pretending, because I do have work to do, but I'm delaying the, I'm slow walking the work that I have to do because while I keep an award show on in the background, in the hopes that my wife will get invested in watching the award show and she'll say, let's forget about whatever chore we were going to do and let's, let's keep this award show on for a little bit. So anyway, I'm keeping the Emmys on last night and lo and behold, who comes on Right in this window that we have the award show on in the background. But the three stars of the show that we just finished watching, Martin Short, Steve Martin, and Selena Gomez, the three stars of Only Murders in the Building. Now, Obi, have you watched Only Murders in the Building yet? I have not, but you rave about it. you got to see On it. Facebook, everyone's saying, oh, my God, it's so it's terrific, great. Frank. It's so great. It's on my list. Matt, did you watch it yet? I'm three episodes in. What, what are you, what's your honest assessment so far? Oh, I'm into it. You're into uh, it. Yeah, every every morning I'm like, I'm gonna go home and watch it again, and then well, I get. So, and the nice thing is, it's only a half hour. You right. still have the whole day to do whatever you want. It's not yeah. like one of these hour dramas or a two hour motion picture. But anyway, Frank, don't listen. What's your dishonest assessment? <laughs> <laughs> His honest assessment. Come I on, I have no stock lie? in this. Is show. he gonna lie to you, Frank? Yeah, I, I, just, yeah. What do you think about yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. I have no stock in this show. Uh, I don't care if you don't like it. it makes no difference. But to you me. had Staten Island's own Pete Davidson on there. He, no, no, he wasn't. He was, he was presenter. He was, oh, see, oh, at the Emmys. I, I had it on the TV. And oh, I, I, I saw him okay. on there. What, what was he presenting? I didn't listen. I had it on the TV. Right, well, I was listening to the show here. Well, good. The Dominic or something. Good. Uh, so Martin Short, Steve Martin, and Selena Gomez, they came out together. And I honestly, I think in this one-minute presentation, it really captures the incredible chemistry that these three performers have with one another. And I, I found them to be uh, very engaging and entertaining, even though they were presenting a category that I wasn't necessarily that into. This was uh, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez, the three stars of Only in the Mur- Only Murders in the Building at the Emmys last night. But really, what an audience you are. I wish I could box you up and take you home like classified White House documents. <laughs> Selena, how much time do we have left? I don't know. With a good diet and exercise, maybe 10, 12 years. <laughs> Earlier tonight, as I was walking the red carpet I have at home, <laughs> I thought, what's the difference between being in movies versus television? And I realized, well, Marty can get work in television. Ah, <laughs> uh, thanks, Steve. Hey, I've always been curious. Does it bother you when people come up to you and say, big fan, Angela Lansbury? You know what I love about working with these guys? Nothing. No paparazzi, ever. (laughs) Got a laugh track? No, people were laughing. They were into it. So I thought that. What I were they into? They were the good. three of them trying to stand up together, no, bounce off. I, I, I mean, thought it was, it was very good. I thought it was better than the most of uh, the, the rest of what I saw. I thought that was. Uh, I thought that was excellent. What did your wife think? 
She liked it. She was into it. She we watched. Um, we saw and Lizzo did something. Uh, she was a big winner. Uh, Keenan Thompson was there. Um, we watched. And I remember she even made me be quiet about what I was talking about, so she could see Lorne Michaels from Saturday Night Live accept their award. So she was into it. But um, but uh, you know, I, I'm curious. I, I don't think the Emmys is that big of a cultural thing. These days, if it ever was, it would certainly never really seem to rise to the level of the Academy Awards. But uh, these days, but that was all about the red carpet. And, yeah, right, and it was right, all right. about fashion and everything. It was more, that was a great delivery to an audience. And they sucked everyone in early for the red carpet mm-hmm. and built mm-hmm. an industry off it. 800-848-9222 if you think the Emmys have lost uh, some of their luster or not. By the way, uh, happy to tell you that uh, we took we took my son Carmine to the pediatrician yesterday for his regular checkup. He was pretty pleased because... No shots, right? And in spite of what you may hear from other people on the radio, he is now a he is now a bouncing nineteen pounds. Curtis is claiming that he's forty pounds. He is nineteen point nineteen pounds four ounces. Is your kid need a spokesman? Thirty inches. <laughs> Thirty inches and nineteen pounds. So he's doing really well. What was a little disturbing is the doctor didn't ask about any of these burns that are on his forehead from the oil the other day. So that was. He didn't have to. He, heard, he listened Keep to your asking show. questions. He listened to your show. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, uh, joined in studio by Obi Murray. You know, one of the saddest stories uh, that I've seen in quite some time happened this past weekend. And uh, I got the word, actually, from John Katsimatidis, who told me that uh, that Anthony Vervaro, a former baseball player who retired from Major League Baseball in order to become a Port Authority police officer had died. Now, it's sad whenever anybody who's 38 years old and a father of, I believe, four passes away. It's even more sad when somebody gives up essentially a a, a career in the spotlight with a lot of glamour, uh, people, fans cheering from you, where the league minimum is several hundred thousand dollars a year to dedicate themselves to public service. And it's even more sad when you think about the fact that he died in a car accident on the way to the September 11th memorial services. I mean, overall, this story was just one giant kick in the gut after another. And um, I know um, this has been making the rounds, but this is Anthony Vervaro, who, who, again, just died tragically in this car accident on Sunday. This is him talking in 2016 about becoming a police officer and his decision to leave professional sports and go into baseball. I grew up on Staten Island. Okay. Uh, Staten Island is a lot of city workers, police officers, firemen. It's uh, just something that's a highly respected position, and it's just something that I always you know, wanted to do since I was little. Now, this has uh, reignited a whole discussion in a lot of people's circles about service and people that are famous or in the public eye at the very least leaving what they were doing in order to serve. I think the best example that uh, that we can think of in recent memory is Pat Tillman. 
uh, Pat Tillman, a star professional football player who left the world of professional football in order to serve in the military and ultimately was was killed in service of our country. And in World War II and in the ensuing decades, it was a rite of passage. It was just expected that you would serve in the military either voluntarily, as a lot of people did, or you would be drafted. Um, If you think about the politicians of yesteryear, people like Fiorello LaGuardia. LaGuardia was in Congress, an up-and-coming, young, bright congressman. And he resigned from Congress in order to go fight in World War I, and he was a very proud American of Italian descent. He went and bombed Italy. As, 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 a, as a bombardier in World War One, Harold Stassen, the governor of Minnesota, who everyone makes fun of now because he ran for office a lot, he was in his 30s. He was the youngest governor in the country. He was on a fast track in Republican politics. They were talking about him as a presidential candidate, a bunch of other things. He resigned as governor of Minnesota, something that he told the people of Minnesota he would do when he was running to go fight in World War II. Ask yourself how many politicians would be doing that today. And I think it's a reflection of a couple of things. One, the voters expected you to do this. They saw people in their neighborhoods going out to the military, and they thought if you were able-bodied, if you were in the proper age range, that you were going to be doing this, too. You were at least expected to. Two, I think there was a different civic mentality with respect to service. You didn't see um, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, early part of the 60s, you didn't see people jumping through hoops to use whatever connections they had, at least not by and large, to avoid service. You saw people happily going towards service, by and large. Again, I know there are exceptions. I don't think there's a bigger entertainer on the planet, um, both in while he was alive and in death, than Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley very famously drafted into the U.S. Army and was very public about it and used his service in the military to encourage other people to serve with, for lack of a better description, a smile. Here's a little bit of Elvis after being drafted. Elvis, do the other soldiers give you a rough time because you're famous? No, sir, I was very surprised. Uh, I've never met a, a, a better group of boys in my life. They... Uh, they probably would have uh, if it'd been like everybody thought. I mean, everybody thought I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't have to work, and I would uh, be given special treatment and this and that. But when they looked around and saw I was, I was on KP and I was pulling guard and everything just like they were. Well, they figured, well, he's just like us. So this brings two major questions to the forefront: eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. One is. Should national service be mandatory? Now, obviously, I don't think we're going to make use of another 50, 60 million troops. But what if you gave people the option to choose military service, Peace Corps, teaching fellowship, whatever the case may be? This is something that brighter people than me have proposed. Is that something that should be mandatory? And two, are there other examples of people that voluntarily chose to serve the way that Anthony Fafara did, the way that uh, Pat Tillman did. Obviously, we know about the draft and all the players like Bob Feller and Yogi Berra and Joe DiMaggio who served um, in World War II and were, were drafted. But there's a lot of people that have volunteered to serve 
over the years. Obi Murray is here, who, in addition to being a, a student of politics and communications and branding for a long time, also a uh, somebody that served in the uh, in the military. Give me your take on this whole discussion. I would say, first off, it was the greatest singular experience I've ever had in my life. It is the best training, the best discipline, the best value of how you feel of yourself at times. You go to basic training for six weeks. At the beginning, they tear you apart. You are nothing. And they build you right back up, and you can climb a 20-story building, 100-story building without blinking an eye. Just right up the side. You you go to airborne school. You do it our way. You don't get hurt. It takes three weeks to learn how to jump out of a plane in the military. You go to Long Island and go out in the afternoon. That three weeks and what they do with you and just build it up, and and that's just endurance building up, the mentality of how to cope with it and and get you ready for combat in that case, which I was not in combat, but, I mean, all this stuff around it. It is is a singular most fantastic experience how to lead, how to lead, follow, get out of the way, how to fight through things, perseverance, doing things you never thought you could do, lack of sleep. You know, somebody who's 18 years old, 22 years old, leading 40 people, leading, leading 10 people, working your way up to 40 people. It's just magnificent with no sleep and the judgments you have so to So you're make. an advocate of military uh, service I, as a character-building exercise. I tell people, and I get, not fights, people tell me to quiet down at times when someone kid wants to go do it. I say, fantastic, go do it. And their parents look at me like, don't tell Johnny to go do it. Please don't do that. Don't. Do okay, I'm not going to tell him that, but I'll shut up. But everybody should want to do it too. Give me your take on this idea of mandatory national service. Well, national service is different than military. Right. Unequivocal. Well, but it's a type of type of it's, national service. Except I would say this. What is national service? Teachers. My goddaughter's yeah. a teacher. Yeah. She goes home at night. Fantastic. Right. Terrific. They're underpaid. It's fantastic. And, and we need more teachers. Um, and there is programs already in place for student loans. If you do certain uh, nonprofits and so forth, government, government and uh, well, service, you get reduction student loans prior to this whole thing with Biden. Um, if you're in the military, you want to be there. You want the, the men and women next to you to want to be there. And it provides every mm. opportunity to everybody. And when you run up the when one person has trouble on that hill, everybody has trouble on that hill. And you help each other out. It's just fantastic stuff. Can you think of any other examples of, of folks that have uh, not needed to go to the military or not needed to become a police officer either because they're wealthy, because they're famous, because they already had success in another uh, another uh, my goddaughter's brother mm-hmm. was at a was a high school guy and he went to his parents and said I don't want to go to college. I'm going I want to go to the Air Force. And he wanted to do cybersecurity. And his father was a colonel in the army at the time. And his parents were like, "Makes sense. It's like when you go to law school, you want to go to the DA's office, make less money and go to court right away." He said he can get the best education by doing things in the Air Force for cybersecurity. And he's right. And he was over in Cutter for things, and he's back now in uh, Maryland. And he is just a fan. I've known him since the day he was born. And fantastic kid. And just see the growth he did in that short amount of time. And he wanted to do it. And he didn't have to. He could have gone to college. Mom and dad could have paid for it. He said, I don't want to go to college. I want to go do this. Mm-hmm. And it's fantastic. Do you think that that kind of service mentality – has diminished in American youth over the years? Well, I think it goes back to things you've talked about before. I mean, the quiet quitting mm-hmm. and the attitudinal aspect generationally at times, what people want to do. Um, you have to want to do it and stay with it. The boxer that went in and he enlisted, um, whose name I forget at this point, Duster? Recently? Yes, in the past 10, 15 years. I'd so. have to look. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he went in and his comment was, well, he went from silk sheets to the barracks. It's very, mm-hmm. it's a very tough transition in that case. 
you know, Elvis in that case, and all the all the the, uh, the the professional athletes that did it. It was a little bit different back then in that day and age for the lifestyles they lived as professional athletes. Um, so dro- dropping down income, Tillman, what he did at the was twenty six years old, I think, when he mm-hmm. when he did yeah. that, the prime of his career, pretty much for football. And he just said, "That's it. I'm doing this. That's a big, big thing." And people can learn from that what they want. Serving your country, I think, is one of the most noble things you can do. The police officers, firefighters, nurses on the front line, all the time is fantastic, and that's needed. But the military is the one when you're 18 years old, you're deciding, I'm going to go do this right now. You can't become a cop at 18. You have to get more education, more maturity, and do that. But uh, I think it's fantastic. Everyone should, if they can do it and they want to do it, just run for it. But not, no mandatory national I'm service. against mandatory because when I'm in that foxhole, I don't want – Jane or Mary or anybody mm-hmm. else next to me or John, you know, John Doe, to, to not want to be there, to be worried about counting days and getting out. The movies, uh, you know, show stuff where they're counting days to get out and stuff. Sure. Right. Uh, it's just you, the stuff you go through, you go into you learn about tear gas and how, how your masks work and everything like that. If you don't want to be there, it's tough. I saw guys in firing lines when we're doing live exercises jump out of foxholes where the bullets are going over our head and they're tracers at night. And you think they're two feet up over the ground. They're 10 feet. So the kid was safe. Wow. But that kid didn't want to be there. He was mm. going to kill himself. Oh, no, I, I can imagine. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. That's why I, mentioned, that's why I said national, mandatory national service as opposed to national military service because there might be other non-military alternatives that people wouldn't want to kill themselves to avoid. But mandatory service... If it's not, you don't want to be there. Right. What are you gonna, I, I got you. If you're sweep, you. sweeping the streets, is that right. service? And that may be something you can cope with. You don't, you want a teacher that doesn't want to be there? You right. want a nurse that doesn't want to be there? Well, right. That's all, all good. 800-848-9222. JR is in Brooklyn. Hello, JR. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Great. Um, so I am against, uh, I'm against a, a national service, of, a mandatory of any kind, because I think people now realize as often the government – uh, may not be the uh, cleanest player in the game, and they really don't care that much about you. All right, so uh, expand upon that a little bit. They don't care about you, meaning? Meaning, listen, you're, you're, uh, you are a number to them. That's why it would you're not a GI. Be, they would chew, yeah, they would chew you up. You are government issue. They'll chew you up, they'll spit you out, and they'll move on. So the civic duty is to, I don't want to say a non-civic organization like the United States government, but a lesser civic organization than they, they lead on to be. And I think a lot of people nowadays realize that. I mean, when they had the draft for Vietnam, they were taking people out of prison. They were giving them the option to leave early. Mm-hmm. That's not a draft. That's that's a, the last bastion. That There's a certain amount of volunteerism there, though. I mean, judges every now and then historically have done, if I'm going to sentence you to X, or you go enlist, and then you get you know a year from now it all gets expunged. Um, military doesn't take you in for certain things, but uh, based upon your history, but that's voluntary, in my mind. That's somebody saying I'm going to go do that in lieu of that. I can accept that part of it. I don't necessarily want to have a bunch of people that avoided prison to go to in the army. I wonder how safe I'll be in the barracks at night. But and volunteering would be going to your plea to your plea hearing and saying, hold on a minute, can I go to war instead? Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's a good way to look at it. That's not an option. Op- volunteering is not an option. Volunteering is volunteering. When I when I did it, I enlisted, as I said. I went down, took the FAS- I think it's FASB test we took, 
and I could have done X, Y, Z, whatever it was. And I said, I want to do 11 Bravo infantry. And the recruiter was like, what? And he's like, yeah, yeah. Cause he had to fill a, fill a box out there. And that's uh, not something that people generally volunteer for. No one, especially back then. But mm-hmm. remember there was pre-wars, pre-desert storm. I'm that old. But I remember I went like July 7th or so to Fort Benning for the first time. And they picked me up at five o'clock in the morning in Providence to drive me to Boston for a whole day of medical tests and so forth. Keep me overnight and fly me to Benning. Um, he picked me up at five o'clock in the morning. The night before, I'd been out with my mother and stepfather down in Rhode Island at a very nice place along the beach. Fantastic, you know, four stars type place. And when he picked me up the next day, he goes, "I never thought you were going to be here." Just because I was in college, I didn't need to be here, and so forth. But he was surprised that I stuck it out and went there in July. Well, I mean, to your point, thanks, Jr. To your point, I think that's why a lot of people do find it to be a character building exercise because you, uh, you are dedicating yourself to a cause greater than your own self interest, and because you're pushing your yourself to things that uh, you didn't really know that you well, were capable. When of. I was uh, my senior year, winter break between Christmas and uh, start up in January, I went to airborne school for three weeks. I ended up missing a week of class, and I had trouble. They were going to tell me I couldn't go because of that. I went to every teacher and said. If you don't tell me I can go, I'm dropping your class. I'll find another one. There was no way they weren't going to send me as far as I was concerned. Mm. To get, I got one of those slots, not many of them. And so I went right after New Year's, I think January 2nd. I ran down there, trained for the next three weeks, and it was amazing. Everyone else was home with mom and dad. I went skiing and stuff like that. It was fantastic. Navy SEALs are jumping right out of planes next to us and down there, and you know they were getting their, their butts kicked. It was fantastic. They'd be like, Sergeant Airborne, can I have another? Can I have? And you're sitting there, and this guy's dropping and giving 25, dropping and giving 25. After SEAL, SEAL school, it was easy for them. But it was just so invigorating to hear the stories they had and just stand there next to them. Fantastic. Original Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Original Rick. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Yeah, you know, um, I don't think the draft thing is a good idea because I remember when I was 18 and I was A1, meaning at any time. I I used to go down every day and check my mailbox to see if I was drafted. I didn't go to college because of that, and it ruined ruined my life. I wasn't going to go to college for two years or three years and then get pulled out and get killed. But if you go to college, if you go to college, you, you don't have to serve. You don't have to get. No, 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 no. no. I don't know where you got that. Frank. They did away with that. They did away with the college thing. They did away with the, uh, uh, only child thing. They did away with every, when I was, there were no exemptions. You could get a deferment a little bit, if I'm not mistaken. Right, okay. You were still going to get it. Not anymore. No, right. okay. please, please nope. research this. No, no, I agree. Well, there's no more draft. I said, I said at some point. There's no more draft anymore, Rick. No, no, but I'm saying research it about the past. No, all the deferments were done because the rich people were not going. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm in college. And they said, well, how about the poor person who mm-hmm. can't go to college? So they did away with the, everything. The, the sink, the, 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 I was an only child. We were going to try that. No, that went away. So every day I went down, like sneaking up on my mailbox because I had friends again where you had that in the jail, the service. Well, he didn't get a choice. They, the judge said he got caught with a nickel bag of weed, and they said two years in the jail or two years in the army. So he took the army, and two weeks after his six weeks thing, he was dead. God bless. Mm. And it's yeah. like for he died for for a nickel bag. So no, not only that, but I don't think that people now would go for it. You can't even get them to like not kill people and you're going to get them to dedicate two years of their life. Well, I think most people just, don't kill people. Uh, you, you know, know what I'm saying? The, the, the crime is just out of control and, and you're going to get, well, I mean, historically there's a, there's a, it's there's not, a, there's and, a kid. I know I say kid, but young man who just finished high school, deferred college for a semester and is in uh, training right now. 
And he did this when he was 17 years old. Yeah. You know, I remember the story of uh, Henry Mosley, who was a brilliant English physicist who not only helped create X-ray, the idea of X-ray with technology that we use for X-ray machines, but he made all sorts of – he created atomic numbers like they they use on the periodic table, and he died in World War I. And I remember it was after that that they – had made it so that if you were a scholar, that you wouldn't have to go to war. But I guess uh, when they maintained the draft during Vietnam, they did away with those. So an IQ uh, test to decide if you're going to well. go on the front lines to get bullet shot. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, y- you hate to see people like Henry Mosley, these brilliant physicists, die. But you hate to see anybody die. Frank, remember uh, July Fourth? I was up in Vermont. Right. Remember the list of people I told you I was with? My buddy from high school, full board right. colonel. He was an Apache pilot. He was over in Iraq a number of times. He was during the Turner race. Bob was talking to him over in Iraq on some stuff. Um, his son went to Citadel, didn't go in the service, but is now down in South Carolina doing stuff. But it was fantastic training for him at Citadel. The other son is in the Air, in the Air Force, as I said. The daughter's a school teacher, grew up in Westchester. The other family there, one kid is a re- in the reservist as an officer. Two of them went to West Point, and their father their father didn't serve. Wow! And these kids just grabbed it. So we talked generationally stuff before. It was amazing to see that. And the father's ninety years old. He's he's a veteran too. Wow! Uh, the grandfather. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it sounds like the father there is the black sheep, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, 800-848-9222. Uh, speaking of September eleventh, where uh, the very unfortunate that uh, that Anthony Favara passed away in this uh, car accident on the way to the on the way to the commemoration at the World Trade Center, we are doing our uh, walk for the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, which does a lot of great work in terms of. Uh, paying for mortgage-free homes, for fallen service members, for buying smart homes, for disabled service members, for helping the uh, police officers and the families of police officers that are injured or killed in the line of duty. And so I've got a team of uh, folks that I'm going to be walking with, and I'm trying to raise some money for the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, especially now that I think they're doing such great work in launching this new educational initiative. And if you would like to make a donation, Obi Murray has been very generous in terms of making a donation and uh, if you would like to do what all the cool kids are doing and make a donation you could do so by going to the website walk.othersideofmidnightshow.com that's walk.othersideofmidnightshow.com and make a, a donation large or small we'll certainly be Frank, happy on, to receive it I put on Facebook too the day I did it without saying I did it so do you notice they did it that night yes you know how much yeah. they did well, uh, 100 bucks which I was already doing because I sent Thank, you yeah, earlier what's the you. link. I did the same for Dominic Pryor, so I can stick with my number where it was. Yeah, I'm sorry I split it. But okay. actually, if you're good, you know what? It's not bad for people to split it among no, their hosts. Absolutely. Because, you know what it'll do? It'll get them to the page to 100%. go do it. So absolutely. go do it. Take action. But you were giving away free hats or shirts that night, too, yeah, I think. Yeah, for $100. Bucks. And so I forget I, if I donated before or after you said that. I think that. it was I after. Forget. Oh, I, I, oh. I think it was after. <laughs> well, I already owe you a, a complimentary bit list. of swag. Oh, there we go. 800-848-9222. Rogers in Massachusetts. Hello, Roger. Yeah, thanks. You know, I've thought about this for a few years, and what got me started on this subject was uh, I know of, I think, eight eight or nine uh, people, my family and neighbors, who went to college and only one completed her uh, course of study. And I thought, and I myself even made a career change um, later on in my years. So, and I think most in their early 20s, you know, or, or when you get out of high school, don't have a, a clear, maybe don't have a quite a solid practical 
view for their future. So I thought, you know, except for a scholarship or something like that, this should be a mandatory uh, service of a few years with a number of different choices. For instance, like the Peace Corps or National Guard or who knows what other type of um, uh, services or or um, or um, uh, nonprofit uh, there there could be, and preferably something in an impoverished country if it's going to be something like Peace Corps or or charity. Um, where three things probably would happen. They'll uh, see what other governments' constitutions are like, what it's like, uh, what kind of laws other countries have. They'll learn actual practical life experiences and life uh, skills. And then number three, after a few years, maybe they'll just simply have, you know, maybe a, a clearer view of what they think they'd really like to do and what career path to choose. Those are great ideas. I think are we looking at the right way, Frank, where we say mandatory or do we incentivize so that if you don't do it, you sort of get penalized by missing little opportunity. I mean taken away from you. But the international thing is interesting too because do you let the person that wants to go the first year do something international or do we take them and put them in America somewhere in an inner Mm. city like the teachers that go out and, and assist and so forth where we need them in the country because those are our dollars, our incentives doing it. If you want to stay the second year, then you go overseas and you learn, kind of like companies do where you cross pollinization mm-hmm. of, of ideas and things like that. But you know, the military for me too, though, no matter what you want to do, if you knew you want to become a doctor, a lawyer, a physicist, you know, anything of the sort, w- learning what your life is like when you're torn down and you're, you fail for a second, picking yourself back up. That's what the military does like business every day, like, like John Casamitidis has done here for, for business deals. And everyone listening has had a job where they didn't do well. They either got fired or they just had trouble with their boss and they got knocked down. And the next day they got right back up. They had family problems. They had personal problems. It's what we do in life to pick ourselves up. And that military training does that. Roger, thank you. 800-848-9222. We're going to try and go through the mail in just a moment. Uh, if you would like to have your voice heard, you can uh, email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Obi Murray is here, and uh, we'll continue with your calls in a bit as well. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Well, it's Saturday night and I just got paid. I fool about money, don't try to save. My heart says go, go, have a time. It's Saturday night, baby, and I feel if I don't want to rock it. I want to live it out. Elvis Presley, rip it up. We are ripping open some mail and envelopes in mere moments. Uh, we are going to go through your correspondence. And beware, Obi Murray's in town, so some of it might be... Do, do tell them cash, no coins, right, Frank? Well, no, 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 no. Cash is fine. Coins cash, are fine. No coins. We'll take uh, coins a little noisy. You want to keep it quiet in the church well, I hate the ra- to see, the radio station. With I hate you. to see people pay extra postage for the course of uh, uh, the cost of, you know, Maybe it's checked out to you or to your son, Carmen, which way do you do it? (laughs) (laughs) All right, without further ado, it is time for...
those letters. Let's find out what you got to say. Oh, boy. Mailman. Mail today. Ah, yes. Uh, Obi, you, you think we should start with email or snail mail? What's your preference? Email is so much faster. Email. Okay. This is from Pat. Pat writes, uh, subject, Destiny of the Republic. Frank, thanks so much for mentioning this book. Garfield was a president, meaning James Garfield. Garfield was a president I did not know much about. Great book. His death anniversary is coming up on September 19th when he died in the year 1881. You're welcome, Pat. I'm glad you enjoyed the book. I am a big fan of that historian, Candace Millard. If I could recommend only one book about the life and death of James Garfield, it would be Destiny of the Republic. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal book, and it's brilliantly, brilliantly told. If you're interested in presidential history, especially if you're not up on Garfield, that is a wonderful book to read. Have you read it? Garfield? No. I'm sure you read the comics. I've got some <laughs> that too, I guess. But I have, I've got some of the other ones that I'm trying to go through. You know, the power broker, thick ones of sorts. No, I no. read the power broker. I meant that site. You know, that type read, of, read this. Read this. It John, goes, I've got John's it goes on my desk too. No, no, that's too long. This is a quick read. All right, um, all right. So as we start with email, let us go to the world of snail mail. This is from uh, no, it's not. I don't think it's signed. All right, uh, dear Frank. I know you are constantly trying to overlook remarks made by Curtis Lewa, but Quite honestly, the more I listen to him, the more I feel that he is basically just a mean-spirited person who makes a habit of downgrading many people. And I have never had the opinion that he was joking around like you can, like you can tell most of the time with other people. Just today, uh, this is from August 29th, just today he insulted someone who apparently is taking Bill O'Reilly's place, calling him a totally incompetent adolescent jerk who doesn't deserve to be on the air. I have never listened to this person, but thought he was way out of line to criticize this man, who was probably just doing his best. The other day, he launched totally insulting snide remarks about Billy Joel, inferring that he is too over the hill to be appearing anywhere anymore. There seem to be thousands of people who don't agree with him and show up to see him. Then constantly referring to Mario Cuomo as Facha Bruta, yes, those bags under his eyes were horribly unbecoming, but he was still the governor of New York and as such deserves some respect. Lastly, personally, I start to get a headache after a while listening to Curtis's loud, never-ending onslaught of stupid double talk. Instead of dying, he has to say eating dirt, etc. Granted, he is a clever wordsmith, but it gets tiring. I long for him to just talk like a normal person. So there, now we can criticize him for a change. And then she writes, or he, uh, I usually turn him off. Any reaction to that, uh, Obi? You know, what are you going to do about this guy, Curtis, coming after hey, you? I you love know, your Curtis. fans, I, uh, they could just jump on Facebook. They could call up the show and say, you know, stop it. They come to you I, and complain it, about I, him. I, I don't go, understand. Go, go to right? Curtis. Exactly. Go to Curtis. Send him your letters. I uh, let Have me just somebody say, become a captain and mobilize it. Nah, as soon as it happens, hit the emails, I, I, call the station. Uh, let me say, uh, everybody who complains to me about Curtis, save your breasts, save your uh, postage, because I love Curtis. I think he is a brilliant entertainer. I think he is a gifted radio talk show host. He's somebody that I really look up to. And uh, most of the time when he makes fun of me, I think it's hysterical. And it's never accurate. So as long as you go in, it's like pro wrestling. As long as you know pro wrestling is fixed, uh, or not fixed, but the outcomes are predetermined, enjoy it. Have fun with Wrestling's it. Wrestling's fixed? <laughs> but when Curtis does this to you, if you look at the Facebook pages, whether it be your personal one yeah, or the they show. Go nuts. They're like, go nuts. Frank, what about this? It's got, yeah, like, they're right. all coming to you to say, what should we do? 
Call Curtis. Exactly. Just, let, let him. I, I, I texted Curtis after we left my uh, pediatrician appointment yesterday for Carmine's pediatrician appointment. And I said, you know, just so you know, for your records, Carmine is now 19 pounds, 4 ounces. And Curtis says, I will be multiplying that by two to <laughs> say that he's 40 pounds on the air. All right. This is an email. Fred writes on the subject of John Frada from the uh, San Gennaro Feast, who we were just talking about. Known John for 60 years. He's as phony as a $3 bill. <laughs> he should be talking about the 10 illegal marijuana shops on Mulberry Street and why they only give Most Precious Blood Church $5,000 when a couple of million people are clocked during the feast, which is why the city got involved in the first place if you only knew Mulberry Street. By the way, What's clocked? I, no, I, Does that mean wasted, stoned? I, or no, I, I think like it's a financial it. thing. I think it's Clock? a financial thing, yeah. But, um, Fred, I have no idea if what Fred is saying is accurate. I don't know John Frada. I don't believe it. I've ever met him. So that's one man's opinion. There you have it. Any reaction to that there, Obi? Uh... I don't know the guy. It goes back to what said before, yeah, though. Exactly. Who's leading it? Why now exactly. opposed to before, though? Why did he decide to change his mind? Exactly. Okay, here is... By the a, way, the envelopes, this handwriting is spectacular. This is good. You can't this, see it on radio, but from, I'm telling you, these were educated people with print. No, no, that no really I like, got This is from Anne well. in New Jersey. And you know what? When I see a nicely printed envelope instead of someone, you know, like that looks like a mental patient... Like my notes? Exactly. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> then I, I take this very seriously. All right, this is from Anne of New Jersey. Frank, I have been a listener to your The Other Side of Midnight since it started. Thank you, Anne. Several times I heard you talk about your visit to the Mob Museum and how you had not seen everything and would like to return someday for a revisit. I hope you enjoy reading this interesting Rutgers article. Well, this is an interesting-looking article. I will be reading this, and uh, there is a lot to learn there. I will check this out. Thank you very much, Anne. All right, on the subject, uh, on email... Uh, Margot writes, not Margot Kazimatidis, Margot, and I don't want to say her last name, but it's a listener. Hi, Frank. My husband and I were watching the old Batman show, show today. Brought back so many memories. Love that show growing up. Still do. Two questions. What do you think about a new Batman movie based on an old series instead of the 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 new movies based on the comic books? I personally love the idea. Also, who do you think could play the different roles? That is a great question. Because I was watching, um, before Rachel and I went to bed Saturday night, I was watching Batman and Robin for a few minutes. They had a great episode with Catwoman. You know, in your Saturday night when you're before you retire, when you're looking to get in the mood to be amorous, you know, you put on a Catwoman episode. And I thought you said outfit. <laughs> That's a good idea. I mean, what are you talking about I hope here? Rachel, Where's this going? I hope Rachel's listening. But... Um, uh, but uh, I still think it holds up. I think it's hysterical. I know we spoke with the producer of the Batman movies, and he hated that series. I'd have to give some thought as to who should play the different roles. But what they did in that um, show is they found a lot of old-school actors and had them all play villains. I'd love to see the same kind of thing. Matt, which one of these guys trying to be the model? Uh, the, Kenneth. Can Kenneth. You tell, come are, you, on. are you acting too, Kenneth? Well, I, I didn't want to discriminate against the beard, Frank, you know. <laughs> but are you looking at doing acting too? Maybe, you know. Start putting out for Batman or Robin. Which one? <laughs> I, I think he could be the boy of wonder, right? He could be the boy of wonder. All right. This is, uh, this is one of those envelopes where there's a lot of stuff uh, written on the, on the side here. Look at this. Campaigns, we get those all the time. Uh, I, okay. Uh, it's a card, it looks like. A Christmas card. Dear Frank, you were, for Sliwa, anyway, you appear to brown-nosed people who are people you want to like you. Um, talk radio today is a joke. Today... 
uh, duh, I can't even I can't even read this. All right, um, tell Curtis. Uh, I, okay, it's this my handwriting is what you're incoherent. saying. Incoherent. Yeah. So the envelope. Mama Luke. The envelope is not as neat as the one before, Frank. That's true. I mean, That's true. So you don't see this unless it's the camera's here somewhere. It's Frank's sick. literally taking a stack of mail and yeah. opening it. That's right. In front of us. That's right. Yeah, you don't know what to expect. This is, but just so people understand, this is a card with Santa Claus on it. And it looks like it's going to be nice, but what I can make out is basically just a string of insults. Curtis makes you and your family appear to be klutzes. Uh, makes it appear? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm not going to put but in any do, more effort. How do you decide? What, look, there's a big envelope here. All right, you want to go to that one? Yeah, well, let me go one more email. Let me go one more email, and then we'll... we'll uh, and then we will uh, go and uh, delve into that. All right, Maxine writes, <clears throat> Good morning, Frank. I enjoyed your, I so enjoyed your segment this morning on doing something kind for another person. Go ahead. So open one I'm up. looking we'll for what's the furthest away from Yeah, exactly. For- this morning I made one of my smoothies containing blackberries, blueberries, raspberries, bananas, almond milk, and crushed ice. I brought my... I brought my puppy and a glass with a straw filled with the drink for my friend and neighbor. She thought it was delicious and said that. That's so uh, generous. Uh, She said that's so generous. So that's nice. See, Maxine heard our segment and was inspired to do a good deed. And she sent me a photo of this smoothie. And I got to tell you, it looked delicious. So I think that's the nice thing. Whatever you can do to do a small act of kindness for somebody, I th- like uh, Ob bringing cigars and scotch today. That's the kind of thing that counts for a lot with people. At All right, beer too. Here. So Frank, that was the furthest away with the cleanest handwriting. All right, this is from Darren in Massapequa. You never know with those folks from Massapequa. All right, okay. This is uh, uh, loose leaf paper Let's out see, Long Island. There, yeah, those exactly. listeners I like this know. envelope. I like this envelope. Okay. Uh, this is a, a lined piece of paper. Okay, this is a bunch of pieces of paper. Oh, boy, this is serious stuff. Dear Frank, do you like the stationery? I actually do. The only other person to ever receive such was the Hall of Fame radio broadcaster, Robin Quivers. And it's a piece of stationery with a bird on it. Okay, uh, honored to be in wow. Robert's category. Uh, do you detect an ulterior motive to my letters? Stop fooling around with silly things like your career or family and help bring the two lovebirds together. We're not getting any Frank, younger. Your wife's not going to like that one. No. Well, I think Is there he perfume wants, or lipstick on there? I think he wants to be set up with Robin. That's my r- reading of this. Robin uh, what, Stalker what, comes to you. What two yeah. lovebirds? Right. Uh, again, let me suggest I, r- no need to write to me if you want to get to Robin. Write to Robin. That, that was cleanly written on the outside. Yeah, so, All right, we'll save this one. This is interesting. All right, 800-848-9222. Uh, Rita writes, Hi, Frank, just a suggestion. Uh, the subject matter, haircuts. Hi, Frank, just a suggestion. Before you leave your barbers, why not pre-schedule your next appointment? That way, it'll be on your calendar and his calendar, thus preventing your scheduling issues. Love your show and podcasts. You are the best. Rita in Reading, Pennsylvania. That's nice, Rita. And that's There's, actually not a bad suggestion. How far advanced do men schedule a hair appointments? Well, I, I, I do it about a day, if that. But I guess that's part of my problem. All right, see, this is a tough one. This is one we need a letter opener for. We'll move on to the next one because I have, a, I have a bottle opener for the beer. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let, here, let's pick this one. This one looks easy to understand. All right, uh, this is uh, – oh, this is from Bob Wolf, who's been a guest on the show, who's a great guy. And it says a thank you note. It says – thank you. 
Frank, it was so thoughtful of you to call out my name Friday night. Very good. It was thoughtful of me. I don't even remember doing it, but uh, that's the kind of guy I am. I'm doing thoughtful things that I don't even re- realize. All right. Uh, this is from Jeanette on these debates that we've been doing. Uh, Jeanette writes on the subject, not fair, think you need to tweet the debate game. I think she means tweak the debate game. There were two contestants who had, who had at least four favorable times to debate the next contestant. You gave the win to someone who at the end had two favorable responses. Think you need to set a number like 10 and the person who gets the most judge points during the overall debate wins. What happened today is not fair. All right, Jeanette, we'll take that. Under advisement. We've gotten some other good feedback on that as well. All right, this is from Kevin in Piscataway, New Jersey. All right, this is nice handwriting. It's I'm sure it's not going to be um, crazy. Dear Mr. Morano, you can call me Frank, by the way. No one has to call me Mr. Morano. I used to listen to Coast to Coast with George Norrie, but now I switch over to you if I don't like his lineup. Well, that's really great praise. Thank you very much, Kevin. Um, uh, Go ahead. Turn, right, the turn the mic on again. Your second choice is that what just? Yes, said that's you? right. I I I blame. I can't make up this word here. I had twelve supernatural experiments in my experiences. I had twelve supernatural experiences in my sixty-nine years, and this is my latest reincarnation. I'm a believer. There are the two incidents I want to tell you about. Back in 1975, I was in the military. And the day before I was scheduled to leave, my sergeant major, whose name was, it looks like Elmer or Elmo, came into the battalion mailroom that I was in that I was in charge of to say goodbye. I once did a really big favor for him and fixed a situation that would have damaged his career. He said, you know, I'm sorry I never got to pay you back for helping me out of that jam I was in. This is where it gets weird. Someone got a... I can't magazine in the mail called Argosy, A-R-G-O-S-Y. And on the front page, it had a question. Is the government hiding alien bodies from a crashed UFO in Area 51? The sergeant major started to walk out and I said to him, hey, Sergeant Major Elmer, I saw in your personnel file you were once stationed in White Sands, New Mexico. Um, uh, something base. Could I ask you a question? He stopped, closed the mailroom door, and locked it. His whole demeanor changed. I was sorry, I asked. He walked up to the window and said, what? I held up the magazine and asked, is this a bunch of silly nonsense or is there any truth to it? He gave me a stern look and said, son, there are ten levels above top secret and you are asking a question even above them i apologized and said okay i understand then he walked over to the door unlocked it and said specialist i don't want to say this person's last name um blank a safe flight have a safe flight home and why don't you take that magazine with you looks like some interesting reading then he winked at me and walked out the door i believe that was his way of saying yes without actually saying yes I'm willing to take a polygraph on this, uh, on these types of incidents. The second incident occur- happened on December 30th, oh, New Year's Eve, Eve 2002. I, uh, I live in a community called, and he mentions the name of the community, and at 6 o'clock I left the house to go for a walk around the lake. As I was walking through a wooded area, I noticed a bright 
light up in the sky. I was too high to be, it was too high to be a street light, not a plane uh, or a helicopter because it wasn't moving. And I couldn't tell if it was a mile away or a billion miles away. I stared at it for about two minutes, said the hell with it, and walked a minute later down the path out onto the street. Under the street light, I looked at my watch, which should have said it was about 6.07, but instead the time was 7.55. I blamed Walmart for the cheap watch I had bought and went back home to get another one. But when I walked through the door, all of a sudden the clock said 8.02. I didn't sleep that night, but it got it got something. I am completely dumbfounded as to what the hell is going on and what the next morning while putting my shirt on, I have a mosquito bite on my right side. However, when I touch it, I realize it's not a bug bite. Something hard like metal and shaped like a gumdrop candy in the size of a Jubilee is implanted under the skin. <laughs> this is big. This is, this is a guy with an edible. Had the edible the night before. Not no, too much. No, come on. This is big. I mean, a letter about an alien implant. It's four pages handwritten. We're, we're almost done. With the flat side facing outward. To this day, I still have it, but I rarely talk about it because people think you're crazy. A friend of mine, a retired engineering uh, person who is in a big who's in a big fan of the show Ancient Aliens asked me why don't you have it surgically removed I told him I don't know who or what um, they did to this me for uh, but this is very interesting actually I can't make out the rest of the handwriting so I don't want to remove it he says because it might tick them off sincerely get rid of the memory I had of being on drugs that uh, this I mean, is for so you don't buy this Frank that one I really don't I'm you sorry. don't think I, it's too much there's not enough concrete evidence. Okay. It's just like a saving this one. Um, <laughs> all right. Okay. Uh, let me p- go back to email then. Uh, this person did not sign his email. Subject matter. Boring. For the first time, I am. This is just from an hour ago. For the first time, I'm turning off your program. It has been the most boring two hours of meaningless banter with your frequent guests sharing your entire program. What has happened to your interesting (laughs) guests, especially the past two days? Sorry. I hope that when I tune in again, there's something interesting and meaningful. By the way, couldn't care less what your guest thinks. By by the way, Frank, when you're going to do that in the break, don't let me see the screen when you send it to yourself, okay? (laughs) Showed you. All right. Here, we'll do one more more. More piece of snail mail if we can get this. And by one the way, open. they wouldn't put their name to it. They, they, they were, yeah, they, they were all, right. all, the, the, initial, the initials was JG based on the email. That's an ex girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> Dear Frank, Curtis plays a tape of you mentioning that you move your black associates to the front of the room at your party. Monday, you chastise the parents of the two black kids. Would you say the same thing if your kid was ignored? For wearing his yarmulkes. Okay, first of all, my son doesn't wear a yarmulke, but um, but no, I mean I don't know that. It's always different when it's your kid, but no, uh, Curtis was uh, joking around. I don't think, and this is clearly someone who did not sign this letter. I'm guessing is pretty hostile towards the you're, Jewish you're, people. You have a nephew at Sunday wearing that's a yarmulke. right. That's right. I'm going to my uh, sister in law's wedding next week. She is an Orthodox uh, Jew. And uh, if she has children, she will be, uh, they will be absolutely as Jewish as can be. All right, last one I'll read via email here. We'll save the rest of these. 
Geraldine writes about, on the subject of my interview with Malachi McCourt. Um, loved, loved, loved hearing Malachi McCourt once again. He sounded exactly as he did when he had his own radio show. Thank you, Jerry in Lincroft, New Jersey. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think Malachi did sound terrific. I think that was great. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on anybody's correspondence, we'll save the rest of this mail for a future future edition of... Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. I always felt in the world of music there were not enough songs about Mozart. Uh, this song, uh, Rock Me Amadeus, I think is just terrific. You know, uh, absolutely uh, terrific. Uh, this is by um, Falco. Uh, great song. Uh, Obi Murray is uh, my guest for the program. If you have any criticism of him, save it for the Facebook group. Don't email me. Call us up. Do it, do it yeah, live. I, I love it. Uh, you, well, you could call us, 800-848-9222, or you could go to the Facebook group where you'll also know what bumper music we're playing. Uh, just search uh, Morano Radio Fans in, in, and Haters. In politics, that last email is called Undecided. <laughs> All right, we're going to get back to your calls in just a second, but I wanted to ask you about this before we uh, before we went back to the phones. Uh, you worked in, I think, two campaigns with uh, Michelle Caruso Cabrera, right? Or at yeah. least one, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, she was on this program a few months ago uh, talking about her op-ed in the New York Post about the re- that New York's never really going to come back until the CEOs all make people come back to work. And I'm a big believer in that. I agree with everything she said. And one of the many reasons that I love working for John Katzenmatidis is because he's very clear. His attitude is, I come to work, meaning him, I come to work every single day, and you know what? Everyone else is going to come to Lead work, too. by example. And I love it. As you, you, last time you were here, cited the example of absentee candidates and how that doesn't, expi- that doesn't exactly inspire people um, to go the extra mile to get them elected. Let me ask you about what Goldman Sachs is doing. Um, Goldman Sachs is wanting their workers to come back to their office, and they are cutting the perk of free coffee. So as Labor Day weekend came to a close and bankers at Goldman Sachs shuffled back to the office on Tuesday morning for the mandatory return to a five-day in-office work week, they found that the free coffee cart, which usually sat in the lobby of 200 West West Street, was missing. The days of the complimentary grab-and-go coffee station brought in last year as an incentive to get people back to work are Gone. Sources at Goldman Sachs tell The Post that management has a far stronger tool than coffee to get people back into the office anyhow, which is the threat of being fired. A paycheck. 
Yeah. Um, I thought this was uh, really crummy. Uh, Obviously, look, obviously, if you want to work at Goldman Sachs, not getting the free cup of coffee is not going to keep you from working there. But I'm seeing other businesses go in the opposite direction to get people to want to come back to work. They're offering more free snacks and more free coffee. We get coffee here. What's your opinion about what Goldman Sachs is doing here? Well, don't forget the other headlines now, if you just pull it up now. CNBC, Goldman Sachs to kick off Wall Street layoff season with hundreds of job cuts this month. And then, as you pointed out, that was brought off as an incentive to get people in. It didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Charlie Gasparino, who's been on uh, the station quite a bit, and then with John's show uh, in the evening, about a group of employees that got together to complain, and they all walked out. And basically a soft edge on a worker there. And Charlie's all over these guys because his father was a steel worker and things like that. It's great commentary. Sure. It's Hey, it's it's time. You got to work. You got to work. I if know, you're not going to go to work as the coffee, then you know, so be it. I, I Companies do what they need to do to motivate their employees. Uh, it's not coffee. A friend of mine, you know, my house on Sunday. You never know who's going to come over for breakfast. It's like a you just never know. They don't come for breakfast. They bring it. They, they, well, some both. They do both. So uh, someone who was over Sunday, who's I think mom worked at Goldman Sachs for a long time. He said, "Look, if you don't you want if you're Goldman Sachs, these people not only coming to work, but don't you want them caffeinated and energized and working 12, 14 hours because they're all hopped up on caffeine?" I guess the answer is no. It depends who the employees. I guess. Yeah, I guess. I, I guess think. so. But I think you know when they do it in the lobby, they do it on the floors. I mean, there's a whole way these guys work and the mentality and the trading floors and the energy that moving it out of there it doesn't matter. I mean, it's it's funny, you know, Ron Kuby the, at our old location at when the radio station was at our old location, there used to be a video game system, a Wii in the newsroom, and Ron Kuby used to say the next time, this is before John bought the station, the next time um, the company has to do wet layoffs, they should just monitor who's been on that Wii the most and start with whoever that is. That's why Ron Kuby's great for what he does, but not a great manager. Yeah, leave people, it to a communist. People do their stuff. All right, uh, we're going to continue, though, B. Murray, 800-848-9222. In the meantime, uh, in the words of the great Bob Grant, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, one more hour to go. Uh, joined in studio by uh, O.B. Murray. E. O'Brien Murray is a uh, longtime uh, p- crisis communications expert and a political consultant, also a regular contributor to this program. How are you, uh, how are you holding up? Uh, I was just dan- – my feet were just moving hey, along. You know, the music is just picks Sometimes me up. people that I don't do sing. the nocturnal hours when they have to do it for one day, they have a struggle to readjust. But you don't seem to be struggling. Wait till tomorrow. <laughs> hey, one of the themes that we touched upon a great deal when we were when you were here last, and uh, it's one of my favorite things to talk about, is the the theme of division in this country. And we talked about it a little bit yesterday in the context of September 11th and how united the country was in the aftermath of September 11th and how uh, that 
sense of unity seems to have totally gone. And I'm sure that uh, there are varying theories as to why that's the case. Uh, Since it's been, I guess, a month or so since you sat in that chair, have you given any more thought to what might be done to unify the country so that we're not all at each other's throats? I don't think I've seen it from a solution standpoint as much as it is there's got to be an event or somebody. And as one of the speakers in the 9-11 service the other day brought that issue up again, and you and I shared that, uh, I guess, this afternoon or Mm -hmm. something, but there has to be something that does a person or an event, and that was a tragedy, and that better not be what does it again. Um, But I've only seen things that point to it. Another example of it that, that shows division. You think about what used to be, as we say, but um, now there's not an immediate solution. There's you look at someone that can come forward, and you nope, doesn't work. They're leading their party, not the country. They're too extreme, and they're going to win their primaries. But that's it. Well, because this weekend uh, spent a lot of time looking at the you know September 11th, what happened 21 years ago. Andy Pettit, who pitched for the New York Yankees at that time, was actually on Fox News Sunday. And I thought he had a very interesting comment on this subject. This was Andy Pettit on Fox News Sunday. Sports have always been just, you know, something that unified us. I remember as a as a small child just always talking sports with uh, adults around me, being able to watch football games with my dad, baseball games, and then, of course, me now as a father, just being able to get together uh, with my kids, anybody, any kind of sports, you know, that goes on, big games, you know, everyone gets together, enjoys the time in their workplace, talking baseball, talking football, talking sports. And in the sense of 9-11, uh, just what an opportunity that was was and that we saw, you know, as the players, uh, the way that everyone rallied around us, you know, and, and rallied around us as a team. And, you know, a friend of mine, you know, said it great, you know, growing up, we all want to be part of a team. And then whether you were part of the Yankees or the Mets at that time, or you were just a fan, what 9-11 really did was make you feel like you we were all part of the same team. And so uh, as we move forward, of course, we need to remember for sure, uh, but continue to try to, to unify our country and unify each other. And, and I think baseball and, and sports is a great way to do that. Baseball is largely, unless you're, you know, Andy Pettit or one of the players on the Yankees or the Mets, Baseball is largely, for the millions of Americans that enjoy it, it's largely a spectator sport. Now, pickleball is something that people can play from the age of 9 to 90. Warner Wolf, who's a lot closer to 90 than 9, he was on this show recently. He said he plays pickleball every day. There was a big piece in The New Yorker in July, headline, Can Pickleball Save America. And a lot of people say that pickleball might be the one thing that can divide, excuse me, that can bring a divided country together. So let me ask you, Obi, as somebody that's thought about this, that's worked in politics, Andy Pettit basically says sports can be the unifying force that people that people need. He means, I think, spectator sports. The people quoted in this New Yorker piece say that pickleball, which is something that just about everybody can play as a participant, that that can be the thing that brings the country together. Where are you on the idea, either spectator or participatory, sports bringing the country together? I, it's interesting you say that. I believe on air I said Seabiscuit last time we were here. Right. You and did that say was, that. That right. was a unifying sport. Right. The unique thing about horse racing is it's fleeting for that year, Triple Crown and so forth. And they do go on and race later years, less so today than they did back, did back then. But the country came behind that. I was at Game 6 in 1986, Mets-Red Sox. 
It was unifying like crazy in that stadium. Oh boy, the whole yeah. place shook. But I'll tell you, up in Boston, it wasn't. <laughs> Once you go to a sport, you got a winner and a loser. So I think regionally, fan base and so forth, everyone loves the underdog and so forth. You know, Serena Williams at the U.S. Open was fantastic. And that would have been energy for somebody and for a bunch of, bunch of people behind. I mean, the, the, the energy, nonstop. And everyone was going to the U.S. Open. There's a little class warfare there. Who's sitting at the, at, at the uh, courtside seats? But would that be unifying? It'd be uplifting. But I don't know if that's the unifying. Yeah, sports have one side or another. Somebody would have lost that when she won. Well, what it. about something like pickleball, which is a little more uh, uh, hobby? The, the, uh, hobby. My short answer when I when you were saying that time commitment. Mm. Sea biscuit. You watch the race. You're done, right, and you love minutes. it. You talk yeah. about it down. You know, at the shop at, at the water cooler. And the Yankee game, you have to invest how many hours, right, how many nights hours, a week? Right. And no, but it, multiple nights, right, the yeah, whole season. Right. Yeah, no, 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 you know, 100, 162 Mike, games. Mike Lupica used to write stories about unifying and how that was bonding more with him and his son. When they, his son was younger, they would go, he would go to bed at night and not watch the end of the games. And we'd leave a note with eclipse about what happened. And it was this great bonding, like you leave notes for your kids when you go to you know, school, lunch boxes. Yeah, I think it's a, much, it's a great thing to do for unification of sorts, but not countrywide. The whole country's not come behind the Yankees, the Dallas Cowboys, or anything of that sort. All right. If people want to weigh in on either the Pettit idea that spectator sports can unify the country, a divided country, or the uh, idea as expressed in this New Yorker piece that pickleball, a sport that just about everybody can play no matter your age, that that's the activity that could unify the country in an era of division. You can call us at 800-848-9222. Do you think, I know you're a political animal and you follow politics close, you know, more closely than anybody. Do you think that we spend too much time, whether it's those of us in the media or just people in general in society that are interested in politics, do you think that we spend too much time focused on and discussing politics? I think it's individual where people are because when you say too much time, it's in place of what? I mean, well, what, talking about something else. Well, no, but, but I'm home alone listening to your show at times or reading things and going right. through other stories and things I throw your way at times or other people I throw stuff to. Is that a bad use of my time? I'm, I'm involved in it, and we're talking about things, but we're also not confrontational. Other people, you hear social oh, media, well, people right. lose friends, family members. You don't want to go to Thanksgiving dinner with people. That's going too much. So it's, it's the extremes on both sides. Are you informed? Do you know what's going on? The Roger Waters interview you talked about with Mr. McConaughey, mm-hmm. that was phenomenal. I thought so. And yeah. I was riveted for the whole time. And I'm not a Waters fan for political purposes. Right, sure. But the concert, people were going to the concert. Last week, two weeks right. ago here at the Garden, raving about it. And they didn't even know what the symbolism was of the flying sheep. And, the, and the, they just wanted the music. I, um, you know, I get very frustrated with the political discourse in this country, especially on the media, because I feel like a lot of people that believe passionately about politics one side or another, they almost treat politics as a religion. And so I have actually... Um, made a concerted effort to speak less about politics on this show because I feel like when you are spitting on someone's religion, whether it's that fella that says we should worship the goddess Diana again or whether it's somebody that worships Allah or whether it's, uh, you know, somebody that's, uh, you know, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or someone that's Jewish or whatever the case may be, you can't really say "Ah, what you say I don't buy into because you stick to that, you that's the full tenets of your belief. And I really do think that whether people are on the left or on the right, 
they approach this not as if they're evaluating sides of an argument or trying to make public policy decisions. They follow or oppose various political leaders or political parties as if they're, that's a religion to them. Well, Roger, I think it's dangerous. Roger Waters said something very important. Like, love or hate the guy. Where do you get your information from? Right. And I, I said before, I, I asked the kids that work for me, the young men and women at the times, read it with something, and I knew nothing about it. And I had somebody monitor that kind of stuff. Where's the information from? Mm-hmm. A guy named Larry Waterhouse, as in T.D. Waterhouse, was in the town I grew up in. He had triplets, three kids. They're all around now. Larry passed away just before uh, uh, COVID a couple years ago. Fantastic guy. Fantastic guy. I was fortunate enough when, when I had my landscaping construction business back in Briarcliff. He was a client of mine. So I had some bit, 18 years old. I need some business advice on something. I talked to Larry. And Larry taught me a fantastic thing. He said, don't make it your idea. Let it be the other person's idea when you're doing business stuff. Maybe you want to think about doing I do that with candidates. You know, this is what you have to do. That won't go over too well. At some point, they're not going to want me around. They still don't want me around, but we're together until mm-hmm. election day at times. We may want to think about it this way. Let them pick it up. In politics and the discourse you're talking about, that's what we don't do. Right. I say, Frank, you're wrong. The sky's blue. The sky's blue. You say, no, it's black. It's black. Yeah, at night it's black and day it's blue. We're both right. We're not listening. And it's maybe you want to think about it this way. And Larry Waterhouse, and he started Waterhouse Securities, became TD Waterhouse, merged with uh, Ameritrade. Right. Price Waterhouse Fantastic. Cooper. No, same, no, no, no. Same thing. Maybe no. This, no, no. But he was, a, he was a vice president at Chase. And when they had discount brokerage, he started Waterhouse Securities, went public, private. And he said – you got to listen, but you got to let them be their idea, and then it gets done. I'm sorry. I wasn't listening. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment, that's 1-800-848-9222. Chris Saliza is an editor-at-large at CNN. He had a very interesting column on uh, CNN.com, and it kind of somewhat to do with this theme. Headline, one thing Americans agree on, our politicians are too old. Then he says the president of the United States is 79 years old. The Speaker of the House is 82. The Senate Majority Leader is 71. The average age of a U.S. Senator at the start of 2021 was 64.3. And then he goes on to say, while the American public doesn't agree on much, they do agree on this. Our politicians are simply too old. CBS News poll shows that almost three in four Americans think there should be some sort of maximum age limit placed on elected officials. Support for such an age limit is consistent across party lines. Seven in ten Democrats, three quarters of Republicans and independents. Um, This is pretty striking, Obi, that you have this degree of broad consensus that think our political leaders are too old. Is this the one unifying issue people can get behind? They didn't say my guy is, my woman is too old. They said across the board. It's the old thing that, you know, term limits. Should we have it or shouldn't we? Let the voters decide. You can't beat somebody with nobody. But no, no, they love their representative or they vote him out. Mm -hmm. It's the other guys we're looking at. Hoyer's from Maryland. I can't vote for him. That's the leadership worked his way up. Oh, I want him out. What do I do? I tell my representative to you know, get a new leader in there that's younger. What were they, where he or she from? It, it's, it's great until they try to do it. I would be curious in the polling if the follow-up was, your representative is 82 years old, 68. Mm-hmm. Like, sh- should they go? That's where it really matters. Right. Because right. they're really talking about a whole. The micro versus the macro. They're talking about the, everybody else except my guy mm-hmm. is, is the one that's got to go. 800-848-9222. A very interesting uh, piece, a very interesting profile that uh, GQ did on um, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I would think it's I think it's safe to say 
she is the most prominent member of the House of Representatives. I don't know that uh, I would say even more so than the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, in terms of media influence, in terms of uh, social media following, in terms of being able to drive the issue agenda. I think she is easily the most recognizable member of the House. Would you agree with that? Disagree with that? I would, yes, most recognizable, also most polarizing. Oh, no doubt about it. No I think doubt that's important, it. too, though. I think she's the closest thing there is on the left to a, a Donald Trump, right, in terms of uh, uh, people that, um, you know, in terms of her ability to use social media, her ability to raise money, her ability to make a news cycle. I don't know that I've seen a political figure do that. Um other than Trump over the last six years to that extent. I, working for Michelle, she ran against AOC in the primary. Right. I don't know that AOC ever went to drive a news cycle. She would do something. I mean, GQ, that interview took place two months ago. Michelle was interviewed for that. It wasn't in the piece. And that's fine. So I was aware it was coming out. Um, I was surprised the way the story went. If you look at the reporter and. I would have thought it going a different way. Possibly. Well, what were the highlights? What were the lowlights from your perspective? What- I, I think. The, the interview itself and, and the challenge with a print story opposed to a, a live interview where you see 60 Minutes is even terrible, right? Because you've got the old story, Menachem Begum wants – 60 Minutes wants him for what, three or four days? How long is the piece? 27 minutes. Okay, I'll give you 27 minutes, 23 minutes. AOC spoke for how long to a reporter and that's what ended up in there. And she blames men for not being in the White – for a woman not being in the White House. No, no. It's based upon her experience that she's had in the House. They don't like you. You're too polarizing. You're the progressive. You're confrontational. You're not unifying, which we've talked about. And Hillary agrees that she's wrong to say it's it's about women can't become president. No, of course they can. Yeah, and they should. That this is probably the most controversial aspect of this piece, in which she says that quote so many people in this country hate women that she thinks it's going to be difficult for a woman to get elected president. Hillary Clinton was on CNN this past weekend responding to that comment from AOC and all the coverage that has emerged from it. I certainly understand all of the obstacles you have to overcome to get there. Uh, But I continue to tell young women and girls that if they feel motivated to pursue political uh, office, they should do so their eyes wide open about how hard it is. Now, both Hillary Clinton and AOC have been talked about as uh, presidential candidates in 2024. Hillary says she's not running. um, But uh, if Biden doesn't run, a lot of people have speculated that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez may make a run. She said she can't. She already said it. She said she can't raise the money and blames Wall Street. She blames the whole the men being anti-women. She's already blaming people for why she can't do it. Nothing that really is an escape hatch to let her say why she can do it and change that. I think she's running for the Senate against Gillibrand. I think mm. you're going to see either Gillibrand runs in a primary against a number of people or AOC goes in and somebody else in Gillibrand decides she's not. She's want, she wants a job in Biden White House. She's not getting it. She's frustrated. Overall, where do you see this kind of national battle uh, with the Democratic primary where you have the hard left and the – AO, and the uh, AOC crowd and DSA on the one hand, and you have sort of the establishment Democratic Party, the Hillary Clinton types, the Barack Obama types on the other hand. 16,898. It's great. went to Wikipedia quickly. It may be slightly off compared to the BOE, Board of Elections. That's how many votes AOC got to get to this pedestal of where she is. When we ran the race against her uh, for Congress, there was an issue in the debate about AOC being no-show, being down in Washington instead of being up here during COVID. She wasn't here at all until the New York Post called her and said, where are you? 
and she ran up here in the middle of the night with her dog and then started hanging out up here. Um, she was in a videotape down there saying, oh, it's great to be here with all of you in New York in Spanish. She wasn't in New York. She was in Washington. Mm. I mean, if you look at all that, the, all, in the Crowley race, what were the issues? You don't breathe our air or drink our water. That was a videotape she put out to roll out the campaign. That story narrative came out later. That wasn't like she rolled it out to control the news cycle that day. The debate landed on her lap when Crowley didn't show up and sent surrogate. That, was, that became a narrative, but it wasn't like she went and said, this is where I want to go. I'm not saying – she's, she's a great politician. She got where she went, obviously. These things, when they land on your lap, it's an opportunity in how you do it, and she's been able to use that. But I, I have not seen her come out and say, this is where we're going. Green New Deal. She lets other people run the front when she mentioned it. The, the rent moratorium, the fight that took place on the steps of Capitol Hill, she wasn't there, not because she was lazy and didn't want to be. She let others do it. Because she's built the squad, now she's got surrogates of sorts to take that message out there. She was on uh, ABC with uh, Stephanopoulos during the last campaign for president, not supporting Biden early on because of his issues with women. And then she came out at the end. She's still with Sanders till the bitter end, basically. Mm -hmm. But she hasn't been with the party. Therefore, she thinks the party's against her. No, no, you're on the fringe and you are fighting your own party instead of supporting them. And that's the challenge she has. And she thinks it's because men don't like her. Well, so it's, it is interesting that she was so critical of uh, Congressman Crowley for being absent in that primary. And now it's kind of like the movie All About Eve. She kind of become exa- became exactly the type of person, the exactly the type of politician she railed against. She didn't want to go to Parkchester, which is where she grew up. She grew up in Yorktown. The narrative becomes the Bronx instead of a brand new building in mm. Washington with, with the uh, Whole Foods in the lobby and a golf uh, machine up top and a whole Peloton cycle arena for her to, to work out in. 800-848-9222. Keith is in Delray Beach. Hello, Keith. Hey, good morning, Frank. I just morning. want to say thanks. You keep me going at night and let me not stop thinking and help me sleep at night. But anyway, the reason for my phone call, you brought up that issue about pickleball versus horse rating. I'd have to agree with your associate there. What's happened with pickleball, it's true. Anybody from nine who can play it. But in Palm Beach County, and I know throughout the country with these HOAs, I'm in three leagues, the Palm Beach County League and a couple other leagues on Thursdays. The confrontation in the division, quite frankly, goes back to I'm 70 now, and it goes back to when I was eight playing Little League. This guy doesn't want to play with this guy, and that guy doesn't want to play with that guy. And it, and it's really – it's gotten. I mean, I enjoy playing, but sometimes in these leagues, it is it reverts back to when we were kids, eight years old, playing Little wow. League. Wow. So it's you're seeing, in, in contrast to the people quoted in this New Yorker piece, you're seeing the same kind of juvenile division in the world of pickleball among the participants that you would see in any other group activity. That's correct. That is, that's correct, Frank. It sounds like a country club. The same sort of like uh, a club has right. clicks, right. a school has clicks. Right. By the way, yeah, but it's a, yes, sir. Keith, yeah. you're 70? Yeah. You, you don't I smoke cigars. You, no yet. cigars for you. I just, came, I just came back, Frank, from a get-together we've been doing for uh, 30, 36 years. I, I grew up in uh, East Meadow, Long Island. I went to East Meadow High School. I graduated in 69, and we have this annual get-together every year. Uh, usually it's anywhere from 10 to 15, but we've been doing it. So here's a bunch of old guys to get together. Every year we went uh, uh, bike riding, the electric bike riding, water rafting, hiking, uh, even some pickleball. Hmm. Uh, but usually the rec leagues are a lot less confrontational, but it's 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 gotten out of control. But it's true. Anybody can play this game anywhere from 9 to 16. I have a sister-in-law out of shape, 
her whole life, never played sports, she can't get enough of it three days a week. Well, so, no, I mean, that's, that's what I hear from everybody. Keith, thank Bob, you. Bob Turner is now 80 years old. During the campaign, when he was 70, and even today he does, he swam in the ocean every day, worked seven days a week. And that was his excitement and rejuvenation. I think the pickleball for people of all ages oh, no doubt. gets Absolutely. you active and off the couch. But at the same time, when you swim, you're not kind of confronting anybody. Pickleball, you're you're going against somebody. There's teams. Mm-hmm. I don't want to play with so and so. No, no, that's what he was saying. Yeah, yeah it's just eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Mike is in Lake George. Hello, Mike. Good morrow, Frank. Good morrow. Great show. Excuse, excuse me, one second. Excuse me, dude. Get away from my clock. I love Lake George, by the way. While he's doing that, Frank. <laughs> somebody near your car in Lake George. I, I got no money. Get away from my clock. Are you okay? No, I'm okay. Here's a stick, Frank. No, I don't think so. No. Anyway. Where where are you up in Lake George? Where? Yeah. I. You mean where I'm staying at? Well, I don't. I don't. Yeah. Like. Yeah. No. Well, tell us where, so people, if they need money, they know exactly where to go. Show me the money. Show me the money. Show me the dead presidents. Sushi Oshi's up there, right? You go up there. My cousin. My cousin has a place up here, and yeah. So I'm hanging here for for a while. I've been here for uh, a month and a half. Or so. Lucky you, uh, lucky you. Yeah, hey Frank, uh, uh, and you guess great show. Uh, I mentioned to Ken um, a few things. Um, I was on deck on your show a couple of weeks ago, and you came out with it. I was going to say that term: "Youth is wasted on the young." Uh, that was a quote from a playwright. Uh, what you were speaking about earlier about the military, I worked with a lot of guys in the MTA. Okay, I'm retired 20 years, put my 25 years in, who were Vietnam vets. And, uh, you know, especially John Tillman comes to mind, like you mentioned. Pat Tillman. The, oh, excuse me. Yeah, Pat Tillman uh, comes to mind, uh, made the ultimate sacrifice. I believe he was killed in um, uh, by, his, by his own troops, pretty much, you know, a, a friendly fire. Yeah. Uh, anyway, anyway, what's going on in the country uh, with, with the young, I mentioned – uh, and I'll say it now, you know, I'm a believer in mandatory military service for kids who get caught, caught up in the opioid epidemic. They, they're aimless. They don't have any direction. That is the way to go. Uh, this country is in, is in rough enough shape as it is. So from what I've seen in my 68 years, you know, I mean, th- th- I'm a proponent of that without a doubt, you know, um, just, just get your life together and, and military Military is the way to go. The drug, the, the drug problem is an incredible problem we have to deal with. But one thing to be aware of, don't forget, with military is security clearance. And I think drug use at that mm. level does mm. present a problem yeah. down the road. Yeah. And in closing, if I can say to everybody, uh, back the blue people and always acknowledge the military. Back the blue and always acknowledge the military. This is our country, red, white, and blue. Thank Thanks you. Ma- Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. 800-848-9222. Leo on the Upper East Side has been holding a while. Hello, Leo. Good morning, Frank. If I'm very short, can I have a comment on two sh- uh, subjects? Sure, sure. I was talking about? Okay, the first one is on the weekend, two days after Queen Elizabeth died, Curtis was for three hours rumbling about the royal family just really spitting and, and vomiting dirt on the family for three hours. And every 10 minutes he was saying how disrespectful is that the CNN and, and uh, CBS spending the time instead the memory of 9-11 talking about the royal family. And he was doing exactly the same. He was disrespecting the 9-11 memory 
the same as the CNN because he was three hours rambling in a circle. But, Leo, but why would you call me about this rather than call Curtis about it? Well, I mean, what, I mean, that makes – what am I going to do? That's the second topic. He's about – I thought okay, military. second topic. Right. I was two years in the military in, in, the, in the Czech Republic. Uh, usually at age 18, everybody's got to go. I was because I was having newborn kid. I, I was delayed, belated, so I was there at age 22. But I was a little bit more mature. I could see it. The mandatory uh, military service really turns at age 18 a, a boys into men. It gives you structure. It shows you um, for for your life for business. There's there is a there is a, a Boss, who you gotta listen, and there is a higher boss who both of you gotta listen. It gives you some structure, time-wise, that you gotta wake up at the same time, and sometimes is a lunch, and and you you become you. you uh, it gives you really, it turns you into the man. It gives you respect for authority. But, Leo, you're talking about chain of command and respecting, and that's fantastic. It's important. Yeah, yeah you the thing about. Mandatory service, I'm curious, because you actually did it. I, we just heard about it in my situation in our country. What was it like when you were next to the men and women who were there and they had to be there and didn't want that to was, be there? That was my question as well. Going to yeah. a Catholic high school, there were kids that didn't want to be in that school, and they would flunk out or get in a fight and get kicked out. What did you do in the military? Leo. I didn't. I, I'm, I'm really sorry. I didn't get the question. So, you, Leo, when you served in the military and there were people you yes. served with that were there and they had to be there, mandatory service— was there a difference yeah. in how they would you know, work out in PT or how they would conduct themselves or how they would lead, follow, get out of the way and perform their duties? Could you tell a difference who wanted to be there, who didn't want to be there? Yes. And, uh, basically, no one, no one wanted to be there. 90%. This was not like case where you over here, you have some war in Vietnam or some Second World War, and you have a lot of young kids who want to go there for your country. And so, so this was mandatory. Every 18-year-old kid, you know, didn't want to say goodbye to girlfriend for two years because she's going to definitely find somebody else at the time. And so, but it just really started timing you. Every six months was coming a newcomers. And some, you, for example, if you six months there, you're becoming the senior greenhorn. And so, all the newcomers got to listen to you. Even the, the, some of them was having a high school finished, and you was idiot dropped out from seventh so, class. So you're saying because you was a, everyone that was there didn't want – no one wanted to be there. You're there for six weeks of basic training or whatever period of time it was. At the end of the six weeks, some people say, this is terrific. I'm glad they forced me to come. Was there something that said, hey, I want to be here at some point? No, but uh, – I tell you something, and vast majority of those who went through it, which was the vast majority, maybe five years or ten years later in life would say, I'm glad I went through it because it changed me. It changed me. It gave me a lot of positive things in my character to face at age 20 the life that was coming after that, bosses and so and so. So in, in, in Connecticut, authority, for example, in, in Connecticut Forest is at basic training right now, up in the service. The kid decided to go there after high school, put off college a little bit. When I saw him a week or so before he went, he was so excited about going. His friends went out with him, you know, a day or two before. He was excited about it. 
that's what this country, you know, that's service. That's a different kind than mandatory. It sounds like what we're hearing here is I didn't want to be there, and they left, and they were happy they did it years later, but they don't want to be there. Leah, thank, thank you for the call. Hey, we're going to give somebody an opportunity to win $1,000 in a moment. If you want to give a hand, give a, a shot at answering 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, then be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll play the $1,000 Minute straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Facebook group, uh, Morano Radio fans and haters. Uh, Obie Murray is here. He's been a, a trooper hanging around for the last three and a half hours. And uh, you got 23 minutes left in you? Just t- turn your mic on. You, you still don't get the grasp I, I, of... You if gotta, I hit the microphone, I, I won't have a minute, I guess. Yeah, it's the on and off that... I've never turned it on and off. Yeah, okay. Now, it's great. Fair. By the way, the youth is wasted on the youth. Wasn't that from the, It's a Wonderful Life up on the top of the... I think it predates that even. Okay. But, but it's certainly true. All right. Um, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we are doing. It is time for The Other Side of Midnight presents It's the Thousand Dollar Minute. Answer ten questions correctly in one minute and you could win one thousand dollars. Here's your host Frank Murano. All right, uh, Obi, you're going to write out your responses, right? Like, and see, well, I see how the well questions you do. over there, Frank. So, like, Google it. <laughs> Logan is in the West Village. Hello there, Logan. How you doing? I'm great. Uh, Logan, are you Good familiar? Day. You familiar with the game? Correct. Great. Yes. Okay, so we can get started. You don't need any much sure. any exp- yeah. exposition. All right. <clears throat> what month is it? It's September. What board game features pawns, rooks, bishops, and a queen? Chess. Who is the current First Lady of the United States? Uh, uh, Jill Biden. What email service is offered by Google? Uh, Yahoo. No. Dot com. No. Unfortunately, it's uh, it's Gmail, Logan. Uh, that's what the G in Gmail stands for. Yahoo is a different company. Frank, I think he was excited about it. That's why he said Yahoo. Then he was going to say Gmail after that. <laughs> so you think it was an exposition? Logan, I'm fighting of, for you. I'm yeah, fighting for you. Uh, no, 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 no. He had such poise. Yeah, uh, 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 yeah. There was some poise. He, uh, he, uh, good pace too. But I don't know. 
Uh, yeah. So Gmail is the is the answer. I assume you got those first four questions. Right? I did. I've got it right. right I'm here. not going to read the rest, so I can L- save Logan them for is tomorrow. of the, the generations writing your letter instead of sending emails. I guess. I think. I guess so. But I feel like even if you don't send email, the th- you know what Gmail is. The thing that's interesting too, and I don't think anybody listeners don't realize it unless they've had it in their life. Was that a lightning? It's just lightning saying? all night tonight. It's why I could really? walk over smoking a cigar. Oh, but um. When you're on air and you're live and you have these questions and you're not doing it all the time, it be, it's not second nature. You're it's thinking no, you're it's, right. it's, it's uh, no, pressure of even time. Even if you are used to this, um, you know, I played uh, Beat Bernie and uh, I, lo- I lost and Beat Bernie and some questions that I definitely should have gotten the answer right to. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I get it. It's a different mentality. But it's tough. For, I mean, callers aren't used to doing this all the time That's necessarily. True. I'm not taking anything night, away. Coffee's wearing off. Uh, that, this is true. I'm not taking anything away. Hey, um, by the way, we've been telling you all about the uh, Tunnel to Towers Foundation and uh, the walk that we're having on September 25th. And and if you want to make a contribution, by the way, you can go to walk.othersideofmidnightshow.com. We could certainly use the help. But one of the things that we've been that we've been doing, we did last year and we did it in we did it for another charity earlier in the year is we've been having these charity softball games. So if any, we're doing another one of these on Saturday to benefit the tunnel to towers foundation. So if anyone wants to either play or watch, uh, we're doing it 11 a.m. at Bloomingdale park in Staten Island. And it's a totally voluntary contribution, but we'd like you to make a contribution. And so what always happens is the same thing whenever I organize one of these games, which is um, I'm always scrambling to get enough players. And then by hook or by crook, I, I text everybody that I know. I have to spend a lot of time trying to beg people to play in this game. We get enough players and then everybody has a great time. And then everybody immediately starts asking, hey, when are you going to organize one of those events again? One of those games again? Because we want to play. And then I'll, I'll schedule one. And then it's the same situation. No one's available. Oh, I'll let you know. I'll let you know this. So if you do want to play, we, you, we have plenty of room for players. Or if you want to come watch, if you want details, you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. But whether you play, whether you watch, please make a donation anyway at walk.othersideofmidnightshow.com. Do you play? Do you want to play Saturday? I'll see what's going on. Do you I play guess, softball? I haven't played in years, but you know, right, well, play, you you'll know. be you'll fit right what in. What position you play? I like first base. Left out. <laughs> That's very funny. That's very funny. Hey, Matt Blaze, what's your you you're not a softball player, I guess, right? I feel like I've asked you this. Before. I was back in the day. I haven't played in, in years. Well, do you want to play Saturday? No. No. What, Kenneth, what's your what story? Position you you're busy play? you're busy modeling? Uh, I'm not even sure what I'm doing yet, to be honest. I see, but it won't he's, be this. That's I'm waiting for a better offer. So. Yeah, yeah, if clearly. I have nothing, I'll do it, Frank. Clearly, no, right. I, I don't even think he's saying that. I don't, but you know what I don't get? So today, I spend a good portion of my my limited free time, or yesterday technically, asking people if they wanted to play. And you know what I you know what I can deal with? Look, if you're not available, you're not available. So I reached out to including people I haven't seen in years, people I haven't spoke to in years. I didn't get the invite. Well, because I figured I was seeing you, but. I reached out to all, um, all. By the way, Alex Barnard also messaged me that he's not going. But I reached out to all these folks, and I'd say a third who can't do it all say the same thing. They all say, "Sorry, not available." Great, fine, you're busy. People are busy. Uh, a third give me. Uh, maybe I can do it. I'll let you know. So now I have to follow up with all these people for the next four days. 
And then a third, this is the worst, a third will do, oh, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I have to go to a family member's birthday party in New Jersey. You know, it's the 40th birthday. I gotta be there. They give me all this exposition. Thou, thou, thou protest too right. much. <laughs> no, but they they just me, don't want to do it. No, but, but so tell me that. I don't need all this explanation. Well, this, this person writes... Well, sorry, it's the wife's birthday. I'd love to. Do you have any interns? Because this is a great, fun thing to do. Take all those responses and go to the social media that day (laughs) and blow a few of them up. That will be fun. Hey, Frank, I'm sorry. I'll be in Greece, but I'd love to get together soon. And that's the other thing is now I've reached out to these people because I need them just for this one specific thing. I don't really want to hang out with all these people again. But now that I've reopened the lines of communication with all these people, I now end up having to commit to, yeah, I'll meet you for dinner. So where is this going to be when again? uh, Staten Island, Saturday, 11 a.m., Bloomingdale Park. Now, sure. Bloomingdale Park is a guy who lives in Manhattan. And people yeah. live up in Westchester can drive, right? But yeah, Manhattan, absolutely. Brooklyn, Queens, they can take the ferry over probably. Or the express bus. Yeah, uh, They can take the ferry over probably because yeah. it's free, it's beautiful, it's, and that's the way you're going to travel. Right. If someone were to take the ferry over as a spectator or a player, what happens when they get to the other side? Are you nearby? You it's not near bus. the ferry. That's why so I how think, do we, that's why how I think do we the have a solution to say, better. you know what? We got three people with vans. We're going to take them over, spectators, or, or what do we? What, how do you go into get? Well, people? I think a lot of people are going to be driving from New Jersey or wherever else. But what I am looking for right now, honestly, is players, people that want to play in the game, because right now we have a little bit of a shortage. And see, what always happens is you book enough players, and then day of, three, four, five people say, "Oh, I'm sorry, I can't do it. My car broke down. My hip needs no, to be No, Frank, replaced. stay with the times." I got exposed to COVID. Right. Oh, My wife got right. exposed to COVID. That's, I mean, I was I too close feel, to it. I don't feel like that's a valid excuse anymore. Do, can you use that to get out of things anymore? That was very last year. No one's going to question it. Yeah, I feel like COVID, it's very, it's very two years ago. 800-848-9222. Yeah, so Ed in Massapequa. Ed, you want to play on Saturday? Yes, I do. All and right. I want to tell you something. I've got, and I, I, I have this softball mitt, and I, 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 I oil it up. And um, I've got rubber bands around to hold it, and I've got three or four softballs just kicking around my little apartment. And I'd love to play, man. I just all right. So play, love, play, play. I, I love the game. I love right, the game. So come. Right? And so you're, come. You're driving well, from Massapequa. Ed from Massapequa. You're, dri- you're driving though, right? Yeah, I'll figure my way in. But I've got I've got a reliable car, a Subaru. So bring a but friend I'll, or two. I'll get, I'll say that again. Just bring a friend or two. Have enjoy the ride and have a buddy play. Okay, we'll do. All well, right. I'm coming. Great. Right. Right. I will awesome. see you there, Ed. Happily. All right, that's a peak, that's a peak Ed. Okay, bye. All right, bye. thank you. Yeah. But that's that's part of it, too. Make it exciting. Hey, yeah, you know, bring, a, bring a friend be... that's going to play. Bring a friend that's not going to play. Me, I will invite you to take a look at my communications. I am making this sound much more exciting than it actually is. There's no lack of salesmanship on my part. But sell the Staten Island Ferry. I mean, yeah. If you haven't done that yet, that's fair. That, that's, that's, that's a fair. lot. Of, but how do I get there once I get across the Yeah, ferry? this person. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to be in Germany for Oktoberfest until Monday morning. It's September. I, I, <laughs> well, they in a start, calendar. It starts early in Germany. It does. But you know what I always do is whenever somebody says I'm going to be in Greece, I'm going to be in Germany, I'm going to be in Italy, I'm going to be one person said Turks and Caicos. I always say, oh well, that's a bummer, but I guess that's fun too. You know, you know that's and they they some people get it. I don't respond are. to you when you do these. I say thanks for the invite at some point, but <laughs> right. but I, right, I, I don't bother you. You know, I'm like yeah, just 
moving on. All right, 800-848-9222. But if you do want to play seriously or you just want to come, uh, you can email me, frank.moreno at wabcradio.com, or... You can uh, just uh, you can just make a donation if you want. Walk other side of midnightshow.com. Hey, let me run this story by you, Obi. This is uh, an interesting. This is an interesting story. Burlington, Vermont. You you spend time in Burlington. I've been in Burlington at a TV studio at Bernie Sanders. Jesus. Sure, love oh, really? it. Up there. I love I love he, Burlington. Well, he was the mayor up there. Right? He was mayor, but when, then they do all the satellite stuff up there, and you're in Vermont skiing. I spend a half a, an hour or two driving up to Vermont. To Burlington, do the show, and come back down. After, this is a true story, supposedly. After an SUV nearly hit her on a bike path in Burlington, Vermont. See, it's always the bike path. Nothing but trouble. After an SUV nearly hit her on a bike path in Burlington, Burlington, Vermont, a woman called 911. The dispatcher's response, ma'am, there's nothing we can do since we've been defunded. Now, this has caused quite a stir. The Burlington Police Department is investigating their own handling of this bike path emergency. But sure enough, cyclist Lori Kevy is maintaining this occurred. 3.13 p.m. on August 9th, she saw a silver SUV barreling toward her, and she told the newspaper up there, the VT Digger, that a man frantically screamed for people to get off the path and cyclists leapt from their bikes to avoid being hit. She tells the newspaper there, it took me a few seconds to comprehend what was going on. She dialed 911 as quickly as she could. She was transferred to Burlington's dispatch center. And according to this woman, the dispatch the dispatcher told her no police officers were available to respond and said, quote, ma'am, there's nothing we can do since we've been defunded. And despite the dramatic nature of the event and the dispatcher's alleged response, Burlington police officials initially said they were unaware of either. But now following multiple inquiries by VT Digger, the acting police chief up there wrote in an email that he had not yet found any record of an incident or call at that time and What's your take? Any prediction well, as to how the story unfolds? 911 calls are recorded anywhere, defunded or not, mm-hmm. electronic. She would have a record of her phone bill saying she dialed it. it would, there, there, there's got to be electronic trail well, to so, prove either she called. And, it, and it, by the way, don't forget, if they don't want to find the 911 recording, that could be part of it, too. Well, here's what happened. A week later, the police department confirms finally the call. In response to a public records request for call records and recordings filed by the VT Digger, the acting deputy chief, Brian Labarge, on August 30th, writes that such a call had, in fact, been made, but they declined to release the recording, citing an unspecified internal investigation. That doesn't look great, does it? Transparency. By the way, I think Bernie would call for it to be shared. I I would assume so, yeah. I mean, maybe uh, if this whole U.S. Senate thing doesn't work out for Bernie, you can run for mayor again. I think it's worked out pretty well for him. He, how many so. times you run for mayor and lose before? He lost yeah, before he ran so. stuff. But so in Burlington, the police department's budget was reduced by about a million dollars in 2020 to account for a planned 30 percent reduction in the number of officers through attrition. More officers left than expected, reducing the number of patrol-ready cops by about 50 percent. Burlington has since been working to rebuild their force. In June, the city council allocated an additional $1.2 million to the effort. 
bringing the police budget to approximately 1.7, well, excuse me, bring the police budget to approximately 17 million. So could this be an instance of uh, they're frustrated with the defund the police movement and they're sort of letting those frustrations, I don't know, fall through the cracks here? The, the 911 operator is probably a union member, too. I'm mm-hmm. not, this is not going to shot at unions whatsoever. Is there a situation where the contracts are up for nego- negotiation and they're not renewed? It's part of a work, you know, that's their messaging. If it's been defunded, they can't get a raise. That may be part of the answers for where they are um, mm. and why that person would have said that. I mean, it either is factual that the person said it and the person said it and it's true it, from the numbers bearing out here. What, who answered the phone? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's the question. So I thought that Burlington was is also where the University of Vermont is. I mean, it's a beautiful town. It's very active. Well, I think that's one of the reasons this story has gotten so much attention because this is not the kind of community where you expect a snarky response from a 911 operator, right? Snarky is pretty common up there. Is it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. See, I've never it's been. It's beautiful, but it's great. But... How's, the, how's the maple syrup up there? I hear they're known for that. <laughs> the maple syrup is fantastic in Vermont. It's, really, it's it. as good as they say. Oh, yeah. Terrific. Matter right. of fact, when I go up there, I always pick up a, a jug or two. All right. 800-848-9222. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame next, and we'll have a closing thought from E. O'Brien Murray, which I know a lot of you are very excited about. Uh, 800-848-9222. 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Bronx Dreamers for this terrific version of uh, The Other Side of Midnight. Obi Murray has been in studio with me for the last three hours and uh, 55 minutes. And uh, I must say, you're, uh, you've done an admirable job. We have one, one caller, um, one listener who writes simply, I love Obi. And then, um, and then she adds... I think you sound great together. Don't get any ideas, Matt. I, mean, I like I like this as a solo. Well, I, show. I'm flattered, by the way. But yes, yes. thank you. It's terrific. There you go. Terrific. And uh, Charlotte in the Facebook group, where you can now see the music that we have posted for the day, writes, uh, uh, "I'm really enjoying your guest tonight." There you have it. All right. Well, that's because you have done all the research and figured out all the stories to talk about and what you want to no, talk no, about. You know no, the no, audience. Please. You know what's going on. Uh, you keep the flow going. We, we incorporated your stuff. They don't see our hand signals when you say that. You that's know, right. It's right. all that stuff. Hey, by the way, uh, so Bill de Blasio, um, he didn't do well in the congressional race. He's off to Harvard. Brian Stelter, fired from CNN. He's off to Harvard. Next person to go to Harvard, what do we think? Is it Boris Johnson? I turned it down before they did. <laughs> 
right. Maybe Bo- Tony Larusa. Boris. Bo- I think Tony Carbonetti would be great up there with those guys. What do you think? Well, but Tony Carbonetti, I think uh, it seems like Harvard is quickly becoming the spot for people that are, I don't want to say failing, but are struggling in other aspects. Well, think of their about life. it. They always do. And I don't mean in a derogatory way, but who's going to go there? People that have oper- have it's time true. on their hands. Right. That kind true. of thing. That's they're, true. They're, you can't run a campaign, win, and run up there. All right. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a moment. 800-848-9222. Weigh in on any issue you like for 15 seconds. Do you have a closing thought? Great team you got here. The energy. Again, out here, everybody's up and down. Debbie's out there and stuff like that. I think it's you terrific. might have us confused with someone else. No. <laughs> but, but this is symbolism of New York. I said this the first time I came here. It was quiet all summer and everything, and now it's picked up. No, no, you, and you guys right. have always been here thank you. as a, a cornerstone yeah. of that. No, thank you. Absolutely. Uh, and tomorrow, I'm not sure. We, we may have Ralph Nadier on the program tomorrow, or we may have Tony Danza on the program tomorrow. I'm trying for Ralph Nader and Tony Danza. We'll see how that goes. All right. Um, without further ado, it's time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Mike in New Jersey. Good morning, Frank. Frank, this morning's guest, Opie from Mayberry, seems like he grew up a fine fellow. His pa, Sheriff Andy Taylor, would be mighty proud. Victor in Manhattan. Uh, in the United Kingdom, MAGA translates into monarchies always generates affluence. Tom in the Bronx. Yeah, I'd like to say a special lotto should be set up for the uh, the builders of the specialized housing for the vet, uh, fallen vets and everything. Charlie in Queens. Abolish the monarchy. The monarchs always uh, create uh, problems. Alfredo in Newark. Uh, I remember this her. Now they are respecting her. Uh, the, the next senator... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Joe in Orange County. Joe de Blasio should be shackled cleaning up the highways in New York. He's a, a joke and a disgrace. Pete on Staten Island. Hey, what time's the baseball game Saturday? 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock, Bloomingdale, okay, Bloom, Bloomingdale Park. Gary, good to hear you're alive. All right. Thank you, Pete. We'll end it there. Hey, Obi Murray, thank you. And um, you can find Obi on Twitter at uh, O'Brien Murray. And you can find me on Twitter as well, at Frank Morano. I will be back tomorrow, God willing. And uh, you can certainly email me anytime you like, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Frank Morano, good day. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.